And good morning. It is a Tuesday that feels like Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. Zach Goodman from the Bat Around in once again for Griffin. Good to see you again, pal. Thank you. Good how to was, see you as well. How was your holiday weekend? Not bad. You know, spent a lot of time outside. How about you? Uh, yeah, too much. The sun got to me a little bit. Yeah. I had a little bit of a, on Saturday, after I was going on about sunscreen on Friday, I'm pretty sure I forgot to put on sunscreen on Saturday. I'm a jerk. Now, I didn't forget the rest of the weekend. But on Saturday, I'm pretty sure that the, the first event that I did on the day, I completely forgot to put on sunscreen, and the sun got to me. A little sun clit? Uh, Sun-kissed Glenn? Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, like, it's it's more the, um, I don't know, I, I don't know how to describe it any longer. It just drains me, on top of then chasing around. Oh, no, I'm the same way. It's, it, it happens to everyone, Glenn, not just you. Uh, it, 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 you add in chasing around a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and, uh, yeah, it was a long, it was a long weekend, but... Uh, had to work a lot this weekend, too. But other than that, had some fun. Um, couldn't get the kids out of the pool yesterday. They moved in. This is what kids do when you don't have a pool and you get invited to a pool. They don't want to get out because the moment they get out, they're afraid that you're going to say, okay, it's time to leave. So no matter what the circumstances are, they're going to stay in the pool. Like It could be a thunderstorm, and they're like, we're not getting out of the pool. We're saying, no, you have to get out of the pool. No, we're not getting out of the pool because if we get out of the pool, then you're going to tell us we have to leave. That's the way that it goes for kids. So we had to fight that fight a little bit yesterday. But we had a great weekend, and I uh, hope you all had a great weekend as well. Uh, Carson Weekly is in today, and uh, it's good to see you as well, buddy. Great Appreciate to see you, Gar. being here. Um, a lot to do on the program today. Obviously... An unfortunate turn of events for multiple reasons. For the ball. by the way, can we we can no pun intended connect all of the Orioles' troubles to the arrival of that god awful uniform? Correct. Like everything has been downhill since that moment. Grayson Rodriguez stinks. Got to go to the minor leagues. Dylan Tate's got a setback. John Means has got a setback. Cedric Mullins has gotten hurt. They've lost three out of four games. It's all been hell since the moment that effing uniform came into our lives. I was at the game yesterday, by the way, and yeah. I saw so many of them, people wearing them. And I just realized well, the they fact do that they paid, what, 300, yeah. 400 bucks for oh, that? Oh, God. Well, if it, was a, if it was one of the... Yeah, if it was one yeah, of the... Yeah, the City Connect. But no, like the... the, the the, the authentic it? is Thank what you're you. looking That's for. What yeah. the hell? I don't know why my brain has decided it doesn't want to show up. My brain is still on the f- the, the three-day weekend at this point. My brain decided to make it a four-day <laughs> weekend. Yeah, if it was one of the authentics, for sure. I can't fathom that decision. Look, man, I'm, I said I didn't care. I didn't care because all I care about is winning. Well, they're not winning, so now I care. Now I care, and now I'm mad about it. It stinks. It stinks! We'll talk about it this morning. John Mioli is going to join us in the Baltimore banner. What do the birds do? We are still waiting on an update on uh, Cedric Mullins. I got the sense in the, the injur- in, in, in the injury portion of Twitter, the people that seem to know, the, the point is we have to figure out what grade this is. And once you know that, it could be anywhere from like a week or two yeah. to four months. So, a lot of finger crossing going on around Baltimore. I don't think Brandon Hyde's going to say, you know, what he did if it isn't somewhat serious. Well, I think for them, a two-week injury would still be serious. Anything that would involve an IL stint, not having Cedric Mullins, your best player, is going to be significant for any amount of time. So, I understand what you're saying, and and certainly the way that he said it made it seem like it, but 
even if it's two weeks, I think that's a problem for them. For them, you can't lose your table setter, the guy that's been the straw that stirs the drink this season. You can't lose that guy for any amount of time and not have it be a problem. Now, again, I, I don't know. We're hoping for better and maybe sometimes it doesn't seem good at first and then you get better news later 24 hours later we'll continue to monitor that today but it does look like at least for a while the Orioles will be without Cedric Mullins with the possibility of it being even longer than that and if that's the case that is horrendous there's no way around it that is absolutely devastating news for this ball club now what does it mean (sighs) means a lot of Ryan McKenna for the, in the <laughs> Not moment, that in the that. moment, it probably means that like everybody was so kind of brainlessly sharing out. Well, Colton Kowser's on IL. Colton Kowser has been on a seven day IL for ten days, so I I don't know. I'm just telling you honestly and openly. I don't know what the story is on Colton Kowser. We're just kind of brainlessly saying he's on IL, like we know he's done for the season or something like that. I don't know when Colton Kowser is available again, and I certainly know that once he is available, he's going to have to go back and at least rehab before he would be called up. Presu- I, this is a layered thing. At the moment, does it mean more Ryan McKenna? Possibly. At the moment, does it mean that maybe they explore Jorge Mateo in the outfield? I, I don't really get that. i got to be honest with you guys. Jorge Mateo isn't adding anything as a bat right now. He is not helping you offensively. The one thing he's bringing to the table is that he is an outstanding defensive shortstop. I am not so desirous of having Jorge Mateo in the lineup that I've got to go create a new position for him to play in order to get him in the lineup. The only justification for Jorge Mateo being in the lineup is if he's playing shortstop. So when I saw that floating around yesterday, like I, I think maybe coming into this season I would have heard that argument, but the Jorge Mateo that we've seen for the last month, there is no justification for me of trying a new position for Jorge Mateo. It's either he's either he's you think his defense is so important that you've got to live with the fact that he hasn't been productive at all offensively. He's hit like what 100 over the course of the last two and a half weeks. Either his defense of that position is so important that you have to justify it, or he's not in the lineup. There's no to me creating a new position for Jorge Mateo to play. If you want to bring up Jordan Westberg, bring up Jordan Westberg because you think he can help with his bat. And you think that whatever it means, whether that means that he's playing shortstop or Joey Ortiz is playing, whatever that the ramifications of that are, you think that you're going to be fine defensively and you want to see if Jordan Westberg's bat can help. But forcing Jorge Mateo into another position, I, I that is about as head-scratching as it gets for me. I, that, that sounds like... We're saying something because we think it makes us smart, and we're just sort of spitting in the face of what we're actually seeing with our eyes at the moment, which is Jorge Mateo is not helping the ball club in the lineup every day. He's only helping because he's a very good defensive shortstop. And unless they somehow know that he's also an outstanding defensive center fielder, like secretly they've been working on this every day, unless they know that, I am befuddled by the idea of Jorge Mateo playing in the outfield. I mean, that's not going to be the case. And if you look at it, even if he was to play a fantastic center field, which is possible given his speed, the range is probably excellent. Maybe. I can't think he would be better than he is at shortstop. That just seems unrealistic to me. Well, it's certainly not better than he is at no, shortstop. But again, right. that's a high bar that we're talking about. Right. I, and, and all of these things, if Jorge Mateo was still even m- remotely productive with the bat 
and you wanted to bring up Westberg. I could understand the argument for, well, let's experiment with Mateo in the out. He's not. I think you can very easily move Austin Hayes for whatever timetable it is to center field. He's not the best center fielder in the world. Right. The metrics are not going to show that. And then bring up Jordan Westberg to play a corner outfield spot. I think that makes the most sense to me. Uh, I don't know how much how much work has Westberg done. He's done quite a bit. How, I mean, like how many throughout games? the minor spring training? I, but I, has I'd he have played games the, in the corner outfield. I think he has. I, I yeah, I believe so. But I'd have to look that up. And if also I... notable that Kyle Stowers is on the injured list, <laughs> along with Colton Kowser. So it's not only one of them; it's both of them. Well, the Kowser one, he's the one that seemed to be demanding it, right? Like, Kowser was the guy that seemed to be graduating Mm -hmm. and needed Mm -hmm. to be here anyway, and you were waiting for the opportunity to find a reason to have him here. Stowers, unfortunately, has not been at quite the same level. I I presume that if Mullins is going to be out for some real time, if he's going to be out for more than a couple of weeks— then we are going to see Kowser whenever he's ready. Like, and again, we just don't know that. We're saying he's on the IL, but we, we have no details about when he's going to be ready again. And this is the problem because you know nobody is covering on a day-to-day basis that team. To, what do you have? Westberg? So, yeah, so in the minors, he's played five games total in the outfield. And a lot in spring training, so I guess that counts for something. Yeah, but, I mean, it counts for something. There's no doubt about that. I, I'm, I'm not saying no... But what I would say is it almost comes off Gunnar Henderson to me. If I'm bringing up Jordan Westberg, I'm giving him a position because I don't want I don't want the experiment of Jordan Westberg, like go see if you can be an outfielder, to impact what it is that he can do with the bat. That's because fair. at the moment, I think the argument would be the Orioles' bigger problem is that this thing offensively has been an issue for a little while now. Like it's no longer just a day or just a situation or something like that. Like they've got a bit of a problem offensively. Yeah, I agree with that. At the moment. And so they need offensive help. I, I would be more inclined... God, I mean, I hate saying that the answer has to be McKenna because there's just no other option, but like it kind of has to be McKenna and Vavra to some stre- you know, extent to solve your outfield problem until Kowser, I, I guess, or Stowers is ready. Or hopefully maybe the news isn't as bad as we thought it might be with Cedric Mullins and... You get by in a couple of weeks, and Cedric Mullins can come right back. I don't know. I, I just don't know that I would call up Westberg to have him play an unnatural position and also hope that he can still be productive. I would say come up, play a position that you're comfortable with, and just try to be a bat because right now this team needs a bat. This team needs production in the lineup. I don't want to say desperately because that would be unfair. I mean, yesterday it was desperate, obviously. I mean, that was, no doubt. That was a debacle. But – it's it's approaching that territory of late where they just absolutely have to have a bat in the lineup. And so if you're bringing up Westberg, my argument would be he plays short. And if you want to maybe try Mateo once or, you know, if you want to make it a full-on platoon with these guys, with McKenna, Vavra, and give Mateo a shot out there, I think you're bringing up Westberg because you're deciding that Mateo can't be your everyday shortstop anymore. You're just deciding that as good as the defense is, you can't live with absolutely zero production at that point. Now, that's an opinion. I don't, I'm not telling you anything that I know. And if they're uber comfortable with one of these guys running around in the outfield, then God bless, give it a shot. But how many times have we sat here and talked about Gunnar Henderson and said, just let him play a position so he can focus on improving his offense instead of worrying about where he's going to play on a certain night and how comfortable he is playing there. I 
I can't disagree, but I think that Michael Elias' <laughs> comments on Westberg's versatility were pretty telling I, I, a few weeks ago. I hear that. He was clear on that. I hear that. But it's a they're two separate things. A year ago, you were bringing up Adley Rutschman with no pressure whatsoever. Yeah. Team didn't need to win games. It was a bonus that they ended up winning games. In a regular situation with the development of a player, I would probably agree with this. In a, if you were the Kansas City Royals calling up Jordan Westberg right now, by all means. The games are important now. The games matter. You're, it's a very fine line between development of player and trying to win games. Maybe Jordan Westberg is the guy that wouldn't be affected offensively by playing a position that he's not as comfortable in. Now, of course, if you ask Jordan Westberg today, he would say, I'm comfortable playing any position, because that's what the guys say. They just want to be on the major league roster. He, if they told him to pitch, he'd go do it. Like He just wants to be in the major leagues. Maybe he wouldn't be affected by it. But is that the experiment to be messing with when you're admired in a bit of a funk and you're a team that's competing legitimately to try to win the most difficult division in baseball? It's a question. I'm not making a statement. I'm not saying definitively you can't. It's a question about what the best way is to go about doing both things, to both develop Jordan Westberg and try to win baseball games right now. It might be that you say, hey, we do this. If if you thought you were going to have a long-term issue in the outfield and there was an, an available spot to be had, I would have a much stronger feeling for give Jordan Westberg the opportunity to win that spot. Well, I, right. if, you, you can't if say... If Cedric Mullins is going to be out for four months, if he's going to be out for the better yeah. part of the season, then that's going to be Colton Kowser's spot. Undoubtedly, yeah. Like, Colton Kowser is going to be this team's center fielder as, as soon as he's available, if right. Cedric Mullins is out for a prolonged period of time. So there's not really a spot to be had. At the end of the day, you can say whatever you want about Ryan McKenna's 270 or whatever he's right, hitting but he against lefties. He's a very good defensive outfielder. And he's a very good defensive outfielder, but he's going to hit... Right now, I think he's batting, what, 150 against mm-hmm. righties? Maybe less. Mm-hmm. And the on-base percentage is probably 225. But that's why this would not be an... If, uh, there would not be an everyday answer to me. It would be absolutely a platoon until Kowser's ready. But my point is, even if this is a month, say it's until mid-June that you don't get... Cedric Mullins back until mm-hmm. I don't think you can run out Ryan McKenna there every day and not let Jordan Westberg at least take some reps in the outfield I think you've got to try that because Ryan McKenna is not going to play every day and you can't play him every day but I'm not suggesting you play Ryan McKenna every day again there's and, and, but if Colton Kowser is not back I don't think there's another option well Vavra Vavra's an option uh, Vavra I mean he's an option he, he's man. an option but Vavra's like, coming off the bench right now for a reason I understand that I mean, I, I, nobody's saying there's a there's a great answer here there isn't a great answer your great answer is the guy that unfortunately isn't going to be available there's not a great answer to this you could also throw Frazier in the outfield he has you experience out there if it's a right handed pitcher I would be pitcher. far and more inclined second. and that was I saw that float around I would be far more inclined to put Frazier That's in the point, outfield actually, than yeah. I would be to put yeah, uh, if, if it's a right handed starting pitcher then yeah. I would be, I could see I would have a greater inclination to saying this is someone who you know what you're getting as a bat. And by the way, he's a very solid second baseman. Let's yeah. you know not overstate it. Let's not suggest that Frazier's the greatest defensive second baseman in baseball history, but he's a solid second baseman. But I think that you believe that whoever it is that you'd be moving over to play at second base, you would be able to get a reasonable level of performance from that player 
and that Frazier, unlike a rookie, you don't think would be it would mess with him too much to go run around in a corner outfield position. Yeah, I sense. would be far more inclined to listen to a Frazier argument than to I, I, I. I've, we've just seen this too frequently with guys that you need. I you when you call up Jordan Westberg, you need him to be a bat. Like you need him to give you. We're, we are in this sort of situation where the bats have to – somebody's got to start producing. There's got to be production coming. So, I, again, c- could it be – you could be right, Zach. It could be that you bring him up, put him in the outfield, and it doesn't affect him at all. And he's just kind of special, and he's the guy that has no problem continuing to produce as a bat despite playing a position that he hasn't played a ton and isn't necessarily comfortable with. And what it just might be – that he is so far advanced in this thing, and he's got a bit more experience at AAA than even Adley Rutschman had at this point when he got called up, that this is a guy that would be very comfortable doing it. But to, again, experiment with that, when right now you desperately need a jolt offensively? We'll say they make that Frazier move, then Hayes is probably your center fielder. Oh, hey, I, I think mo- I think almost no matter what, Hayes is going to be your center fielder. Until, that, that's probably true. Until d- either Kowser is here or Mullins is back, I think Hayes is going to be your center fielder. Hayes' metrics have been bad and left I, and I right when you. he's played out there. I hear you. Um, so what's your trust level looking like with Hayes in the center field? I, I can't my say My trust level is high. looking like, what are my other options? Okay. Like, that's, yeah. that's what my trust level is Well, I guess compared to Ryan, Ryan McKenna, he's looking pretty good. But Ryan McKenna is going to have to play. Like, I understand what you're saying. He's going to have to play. Against a left-hander, like yes. you, you could probably assume McKenna's yes. in the starting line. Yeah. This is yeah. the rea- The reality is these. I keep coming back to it. None of this to me is a definitive answer. Sure, you're gonna have to make do for a couple of weeks. You're gonna have to get by until again, it's either Mullins or it's Kowser. Right. Those are the only two long-term options that you're going to have. Is either you get Mullins back or Kowser is ready to go at some point. And by the way, even that is not a certainty, but it's just the thing that you're going to give the best shot to to be your your center fielder until Mullins is ready. We will see hopefully again it's not as bad as we fear that it is, but it's not great and it comes at a time where the Orioles are facing as much adversity as they faced. Did they by the way have they even officially announced that both is starting tomorrow? I feel like that's still I don't think so because Rock wrote an article this morning that said both is open to it. Uh, but I don't think he actually mentioned. Well, I starting. certainly understood that they were kind of leaving it as, but if we need him before then, we're not going to announce it because we might he's need. He's going to start. We all know that. Yeah. But what, yeah. what what they're really saying is, what happens tonight if Kyle Gibson gets knocked out in the second inning? Like, true. You know, that's why they're not announcing both as the starter is because they're they still need someone to be their long man, and that does become the next layer of this question: is if both starts tomorrow. Is Bauman now your long man? Is Keegan Aiken staying with the team to be the long man for a little while? Like that is the other probably yeah. I I guess. But or you send Keegan down and bring up DL Hall to be the long man to, to be the long man to try it again. They've barely been given him innings as a starter. Gotta, at some point, you got you got to try him man. at some point. Well, though. we're in agreement on that, but that's a different conversation. My point would be that it, if that's if you're bringing up DL Hall, you're putting him in the rotation. That's that would be my thought process. And that would be even more of an exposure for him though. Than being a long man, yeah. Throwing him yeah. into the, throw him in but the, really at him some point, you got to get an answer. I think Deal Hall is a, is a cleanup long man, a guy who can take that spot and say, "Okay, we're down five runs. I'm just going to come and get some innings of work." 
that's the spot for him for me. But I, that's where I, I'd like. With him. A, I, I understand what you're saying, but you're getting no answers about what DL Hall is by doing that. No, I, you're not. At some you're point, not. you've got to figure out what DL Hall is. At some point in this experiment, so you want some sort of high leverage situation for him, whether I, it's a start, he, whether it's if a, he's not, sure. if he's not a major league starter, then he needs to be a guy that can come in and use his stuff in a one inning situation to help you in a high leverage spot. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that it couldn't be, for the meantime, just the best way to use him until you figure it out, but I need an answer on what D.L. Hall is. I guess my point like. is the numbers right now with the 5.06 ERA that he has oh, don't really you. reflect I, the a guy fact that's, that... I am with you on that. That's, that's part of be the D.L. Hall problem. It's part of the D.L. Hall problem. Fun times! Great weekend! There was fun times. We need to, uh, we need to call Got it. Yes. Yeah, Rob Vaughn's going to join us, Maryland baseball coach. They won the Big Ten tournament. They're back in the NCAA tournament. They got no favors from the uh, selection committee as they were sent to Winston-Salem, the uh, the top team in the NCAA tournament is Wake Forest. and That's where Maryland's got ahead in order to start the NCAA tournament this weekend. Hey, today's show is brought to you by A.J. Michaels, expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels heating, A.C., plumbing, and home performance will help you. Improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. AC season is coming up fast. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com. Indeed, some history this weekend out in Omaha as the University of Maryland, for the first time in school history, won a conference tournament of any sort. They're now a two-seed in the NCAA tournament, getting ready to head down to Winston-Salem this weekend. Joining us now, the head coach of the Terps, He's Coach Rob Vaughn, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you, man. Congratulations. Thank you for taking the time for us. Heck, yeah, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. We're, we're heading out to practice here in about an hour, and put the last touches on it before we get out of here. I, I know you've got bigger goals, and you've got things you want to go accomplish, but you've been through this, and you know how much has changed, and you guys hosting the regional a year ago. There's been a lot of firsts. What did it mean to you to finally deliver the first ever conference tournament title in Maryland history? You know, I, I think it's something that I think this is the right group of guys to do it. You know, we're, we've had some really good teams throughout the years. We've had some talented players, shoot, even pre, predating my times here at Maryland, some really outstanding players. And, you know, I think this group is extremely talented. They love each other. They're unselfish all the things you look for in a championship-type team, and I think it means a lot for us. So, you know, obviously we had a great year last year and hosted a regional, but there's something to be said for winning in the postseason. And, you know, last year's team we hosted, we didn't get out of our regional. UConn ended up knocking us off, and, and I think that's a huge step for us, you know, to, to play a, a playoff-type format where it's double mm-hmm. elimination, you're playing different teams, and it's exactly what we're going to see this weekend down at, down at Wake Forest. So I think you kind of got us in that, the – to see us navigate through that and everybody step up and do what they needed to do in the moment was was pretty special. So hopefully a, a good step and we're still you know quite a few weeks left with this team. You, you provided some high drama in the process, man. That was some thrilling television. <laughs> like that uh, that game against Nebraska last week. My God, on Thursday night, that was unbelievable into extra innings. The guy that jumped out the most at me. Where did this come from with David Falco, where he is just unflappable? in these biggest spots and completely nails for you when you need him out of the bullpen? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, I think he is he's unflappable in those. He's older. He's been around. You know, he's a senior this year. Um, you know, it got a year's eligibility left still because of all the COVID stuff, and I thought there was a chance we, we might get him back for one more year. But 
and I'll trade him throwing the ball the way he is now because pro scouts are starting to notice that as well. So, you know, it's just it's a really mature kid. It's a kid that's that's been around the block. You know, again, being a senior, he's pitched in big spots, and the start of the year just wasn't great for him. You know, his first outing was pretty rough, and he had another one that wasn't great a couple weeks later. But man, he's just been he's been our guy when we need it shut down. I mean, there's that Nebraska game was nuts. You know, but you look at kind of three of the four games we played in Omaha. Um, they were essentially away games. I mean, you had yep. 9,000 people there on Thursday at Nebraska, 10,000 the next day when we played Nebraska, and then another 10,000 when we played uh, Iowa in the finals. And so, again, all sorts of stuff that just hopefully prepare us for the next step. But, man, Dave is, uh, Dave's worked his tail off to get to where he's at. And I just told him that the whole time, man, I said enjoy the ride because it doesn't get a lot better than this. He is Maryland baseball coach Rob Vaughn. He's with us on GCR. What you just said, Coach, jumps out at me so much as you head down to Winston-Salem where clearly that's that's a program and a fan base right now that has expectations of winning a championship and they're going to be rabid and they're going to be wild. How much do you think you guys benefited from having to play two games against Nebraska. I was joking about it on the show on Friday. Like, that was a true road game. I mean, you guys were in the lion's den in tense moments and a late night. How much does that benefit you guys as you now head on the road this weekend to have been in such an intense atmosphere for two games against essentially a home team? No, I think it's huge, and I think that's what we kind of tried to prepare for all year long, you know, going down to Ole Miss and and playing them earlier in the year and – and I think uh, trying to navigate those waters and get these guys in hostile environments, you know, because we knew that's what the postseason looked like. And, you know, Wake Forest has got a heck of a team. I mean, number one seed in the entire country right now. So we're going to have our work cut out for us. But, but we're excited for the challenge. You know, we played them last year. And, you know, we ended their season last year. So I'm sure there's an element that they're mm-hmm. wanting some revenge back and, and to do the same for us. But, you know what, I think our boys are ready. I think – I think, you know, environments like that really show you, like, if you can just block out the outside noise and it's 60 foot, six inches from the mountain home plate and the the bases are still 90 feet apart, it doesn't matter if you're playing the New York Yankees or who you're playing. And so, um, so we're going to go down there. We'll be prepared. We know we're, we know we got stiff competition shooting Northeastern. They, we played them one time this year and they got us at our place earlier this year. So it's a very talented team as well. So it's going to be a tough regional, but, our guys are playing their best baseball when it matters right now, and I'm I'm excited to keep to keep rolling with them. I wanted to talk to you about that because we talked before the season, Coach, about the expectations for this team, and you were top 15 coming into the year, and you know you guys played. You point a brutal schedule, and you took some lumps. What clicked? What happened that going through that allowed this team to suddenly turn and be damn near unbeatable as you got into the second half of the season? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I remember when we talked, I had said, you know, we have some some really talented players, but they've also been around the block. And if we start if we start the year hot, man, that sets us up for some really good stuff. And if you start it cold, I think they're mature enough to to navigate through the ups and downs of the season. And we're the young team might not. I mean, we're we're four and seven leaving week three, just got swept, you know, at the Cambria College class, got in Minnesota, and you know, is falling out of the rankings as we should have um everybody kind of team you know is underperforming which we were and i told our guys i said man we can either run for them or you can put your head down and just keep working and, and i think you credit the nick larusso's and the matt shaw's mm-hmm. and luke schlager's and those older players that have been there that 
man, they just went out and played baseball, you know, and I think in the college game, everything gets magnified because the season's really so short. You know, in 162 games, the big leaguers play, you know, you you have a tough two or three weeks. That's that's a blip on the radar. But in college, you have a, a tough couple weeks. It can be hard to dig yourself out of that hole because there's just not as much time. And, you know, I credit our players. We've played some good teams, and we, we just had a more normal year. You know, last year we had zero injuries. It seemed like every time we needed to get the big hit or make the big pitch, we got it. And this year tested us a little bit more. You know, it we didn't get that early. We we really was kind of the opposite. Anytime we needed to big get the big hit, we didn't get it. And then we had guys getting banged up and some injuries and some sicknesses and guys missing time. And it was just a little bit more of a normal season. And and I think the beauty of that is, you know, I 48 games that we won last year is pretty special, yeah. but. This group's a little bit more battle tested. They've been through through the through the ups and downs a little bit more, and I think that's going to prepare them to to you know get in the dogfight this weekend and hopefully find a way to keep keep playing and stay together. Coach, you mentioned uh, you know some of your older your veteran players and obviously some name guys, but on Saturday in that in that second win over Nebraska, you were getting your production from the bottom of the order. Um, how and look, we we all know the boppers you have. You've hit a billion home runs this season. But if you can get that, like it feels like there's almost no limit to what your team is capable of doing, right? Like if you can get that balanced production from those guys at the bottom of the order, it, it starts to think that like maybe you guys could really do something special, correct? No question, no question. You know, I think you know we we basically won that tournament, and I think Matt Shaw had one hit the entire tournament, right. maybe two. You know, and that's the player of the year, elite player, going to be a first rounder next year. Um, you know. Nicky Lowe had two big homers, LaRusso did, but outside of that, didn't wasn't kind of his normal three hits a game guy, but hit two of the biggest ones. But, um, you know, I think that's the huge piece of that is you had, you know, Eddie Acopian really came on. He was in the, the midst of not a great stretch over the last, about the last week and a half, and he came out and had a great week out there. Jacob Orr, who's kind of been thrust into – up playing some different positions for us at times and kind of earned his way into playing every day. Um, had a great tournament. Kevin Keister in the 9-0 had a great tournament. And I think that's what you need. Like, that's what the best teams do. You know, when, you're, when your superstars perform, they can carry you for a lot of the times. But when they're kind of having a tough day or a tough weekend, you know, the ability of that bottom half of our lineup to pick us up and do some things um, is huge. And I thought our pitching staff really did the same thing because yeah. – you know, we had a couple unsung heroes step up in some big spots and make big pitchers, and, and I think that can catapult them and catapult their confidence as we move forward here. So we talked about this being the first-ever conference tournament title, and again, last year hosting. There's, there's like one thing that's left, obviously, right? Like Omaha, that's what's left. Um, do, do you guys talk about it? Like, do you have that conversation or you, you, can you not do that because you have to think about Northeastern on Friday? Like, how do you handle the there's the thing that Maryland baseball still has never accomplished that's out there, and, and this is a veteran group, and you want them to have that goal? Like, how do you handle that internally? Yeah, you know, I think we talk about it. We talked about it a lot, you know, at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of their time here. You know, that's that's what we that's the expectation of this group. And, you know, I, I look at it and kind of my coaching journey. I always said this along my time here, you know, when I first started coaching that I wanted to be a head coach by the time I was 35. And that was my end. That's one thing I really wanted to do. But at the same time, that didn't affect 25-year-old Rob Vaughn putting his head down and just 
working his tail off every day to get to, to make that team good and then to figure out what we could do next. And so that's kind of what it's like, you know. Yeah, we won't end up there. I think it, it was pretty fun to dogpile there, you know, on Sunday. It would be a lot of fun to do it in about three or four weeks. But I think that will take care of itself. You know, I think, I think it's really going to be about us just really being where our feet are. That's something I talk to our guys about a lot, just being super aware of where you're at, enjoying the ride of where you're at and not letting yourself get to the next spot. And I think this group's done a great job of that, man. I thought we played a hard conference schedule, too, not just non-conference, but you look at the teams we played, the Big Ten misses four teams every year because of just the way that the schedule lines up. We played the top five teams in our league and beat them all on the road, which is huge. And so I think when you combine that with with kind of navigating Penn State, kind of when you're – you know, the, the season's hanging in the balance mm-hmm. there and you're walking into Sunday in kind of a must-win situation. Then you navigate the oh. – Coach, we still we, – we, we did... Yeah, I think oh, – Sorry, we lost you there for a second, Coach. Apologies. No, no, no. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, just, you know, I think this group's done a great job of being very present. And I think that's what we're going to have to do this weekend. You know, Northeastern is very good. Shoot, they've got – they're already one up on us this year. So – we have a chance to go out and play them on, on Friday at 1, and we can navigate through that. Then we'll get a chance to play their Wake or George Mason, whoever comes out of the other side, and we're just going to try to be super present and and, uh, and just play our best baseball. We do that, I can live with whatever the results are. Uh, you're a hell of a fun team to watch, Coach. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun watching you guys play and the joy that these guys have playing together. Um, it's it's a really, really neat thing to see. Um, I don't know what to say other than, first of all, seriously, Congratulations. That's an awesome accomplishment. I've told you before, you know, when I was at Maryland years ago, baseball didn't exist. I mean, it, it was like non-factor. <laughs> so to see what you guys have built, and I know it's not just you, but your coaching staff and the guys there before you over the last 10 years has been amazing. Uh, we'll be rooting like hell for you this weekend. Uh, congratulations. It was an awesome thing to see you guys win the tournament, and best of luck as you move forward. Thank you for doing this. Awesome. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for everything. That's Coach Rob Vaughn from the University of Maryland with us here this morning. Uh, the Terps winning the Big Ten tournament. I am an unabashed college baseball fan, which came from, um, like, growing up, I was not because, to the point, Maryland was irrelevant. And so I never really had a reason to get into college baseball growing up. And then I went out to Arizona where Arizona State baseball is a big deal, you know, they produced no, a couple. No doubt. Yeah, you ever heard of Barry Bonds? The number one overall pick, what, two years ago? Yes, correct. Um, Dustin Pedroia, perhaps you're familiar with his work. Big deal, baseball at Arizona State. And so I got to be around it and covered some really good teams, and I was yeah. like, wow, this is cool. Like, this sport is fun. It's obviously quite different because it, it's funny. Maryland, you know, he mentioned that weekend against Penn State. You know what the final score was of the Friday or the first game of the series in that, that weekend? I don't. Seventeen fifteen. Oh, this is the final score. That sounds of like the first game of the Penn State Division series. One college baseball. These things happen in college baseball. They do. So it's a very different sport in that way. Um, this weekend was far different in the Big Ten tournament. There was much, much less offense in the Big Ten tournament because they were going and getting pitchers, and they were, you know, they were treating it a far more significant way. But it's a hell of a sport, and so um, I was enthralled. I was uh, very invested in the Big Ten tournament uh, over the course of the last few days, and that is a really remarkable accomplishment for the University of Maryland, which never won an ACC title, had not won a Big Ten tournament title, 
and now for the first time ever, they are conference tournament champions. They've been back-to-back, Big Ten regular season champions, but um, again, done no favors. That is a tough, tough thing, having to go down to Wake Forest, and there was a lot of opinions about that, but you got to play the teams you got to play, and that's just the way that it works. And so they got to go to Wake Forest and be a part of the region with the top overall seed in the tournament and some loaded pitching that the Demon Deacons have. But we'll see how that goes for them. All right. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Best offers for sports betting are available there. Offering new sports bettors the not only the best sign-up bonuses and promos from all seven of the legal online sports books here in the state of Maryland, but specific bonuses. Like right now, you can get $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after you place your first $10 bet, or you can get up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. But time is limited to get the best offers from all of the sports books. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers right now in order to sign up. When we come back in, we're going to dive more into the plight of the Orioles at the moment. What do they do? Who's ready? All of those conversations. Our buddy John Mioli from the Baltimore Banner will join us. He does spend a little bit more time focused on minor leagues, and so I thought he'd be the appropriate person to talk about about all these concepts like, you know, throwing Jordan Westberg in the outfield. Like, could what do you do with D.L. Hall at some point? We'll talk about all of that stuff and what the Orioles are dealing with with John Mioli. That's coming up next here on GCR. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Press Box. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley Bob, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. 
Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? Hey, if you haven't signed up yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Pressboxonline.com slash contests is the website. And we are starting to wind down on this thing. Only a couple of weeks left for you to get signed up to win four tickets to all of the area minor league baseball teams, plus... An Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms in order to help you get around. You must be 18 or older in order to enter, and the sweepstakes does end on June 14th. So that's basically two weeks. Almost exactly. It's two weeks from tomorrow. Two weeks and a day is what you got in order to sign up. 15 days, which we're hoping is all that we're going to need until we see Cedric Mullins again. That would be really nice if this contest was ending right at about the point that Actually, it'd be nice if we could get it earlier, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Pressboxonline.com slash contests in order to get signed up. Make sure you go do that immediately so that you can get registered to win that great prize. All right, uh, a couple of things. Matt Torper chimes in. He is in the uh, Frazier camp, says Westberg or bust, but to play the in, the in the infield. There's five or six guys who can play outfield on this roster, even without Mullins, need to replace the bat. Move Frazier or Vavra to right field and Westberg to second. So I guess you're moving Santander to left in that scenario. And I think the short-term situation is just going to be Joey Ortiz is brought up, and then Jordan Westberg could be a week down the line. But I think but Joey Ortiz is brought up to do what? Play second base full-time. Adam Frazier goes to the corner. I hadn't even thought about that until Carson mentioned it, but I think it's actually a really, really good idea. And I think it's what they're going to do because he has played, what, three games there in the outfield so far this year. That seems like the obvious move to me. I guess the the question would be, why not at some point just make Arias your second baseman? Because he's a gold glover at third. I understand that, but like th- this goes back to the bigger Gunner problem, doesn't it? That like Gunner can continue to DH, and you know maybe Frazier gets the day off when Santander is doing something in the outfield. I don't know. It's it might be- even be good for Gunner to get some days off where he can just focus on the bat because that's really yeah. what's got to come around right now. And yeah. if you that's say, true. "Hey, man, for this week, just hit." It might I help guess. him out. I think DHing Gunner as much as possible is actually a, a smart move for him. I just feel like somebody would point out the irony of DHing someone who's a two hundred hitter, right? Like that. And, and this almost goes the opposite way where I, somebody would say, hey, if maybe you can have him just get comfortable somewhere, yeah. it would go a long way to him just feeling comfortable, and that could help him improve. Now, he's been better, and I do yeah, recognize I, that. I mean, OPS about, Plus still says he's better yes. than the average major league hitter. Well, so, I, well again, Because he's walking correct, at unreal yes, rate. Yeah. Correct. And that, by the way, that's not nothing. And I'm not trying to suggest that that's nothing no. or that it's irrelevant in any way. It's very relevant when we discuss Gunnar Henderson. But I think we all know that this team's success, particularly if now you're losing Cedric Mullins, has to come along with Gunnar Henderson being more productive at the plate. There has to be more production from Gunnar Henderson. The roadmaps to this team, again, if they're going to be without Cedric Mullins for a while, the roadmaps for this team figuring out a way to compete in the AL East, I don't think there's a single one that you can come up with that doesn't involve Gunnar Henderson taking a significant step forward as an offensive player this season. Undoubtedly. Um, I, I, I can't fathom where, again, I guess short of Colton Kowser 
getting healthy, coming up, and being a rookie of the year caliber player immediately. I don't know where else you can make get that from in order to get to be that that team. Well, I guess part of my point is the knee jerk reaction from the Orioles from this is going to be okay. Joey Ortiz is the guy who's been up here already. Well, Let's mean, make that move. But I don't know realistically what you can expect the, from him bat wise. He's not. He he's, he's been far better than I I think I think you're two right. years ago we had re- essentially the story of Joey Ortiz was he was a nothing bat but outstanding defender. Yes. Yes. And I think that story has been rewritten to. There's a real chance he could be an outstanding defender and a productive enough bat. Yeah, I, I'll sure. make the comparison. Omar Vizquel is too lofty because Omar Vizquel, people, everybody assumes Omar Vizquel was a nothing bat and just an outstanding no, defender. No, he, was a good he was actually a hell of a bat. Yeah, I, I, there, I'm trying to think of who the comp would be for someone that was more productive than you remember because you only remember them being an outstanding defensive player. Ozzy Smith, <laughs> Andrew I mean, Simmons was like that too. I think it's. Edelton Simmons, I think, that's is a, a fair... Real, that's a really Now, good that's comparison. a very high-end defensively. Oh, like, yeah, that's definitely. That's absurdly high-end defensively. But, like, Edelton he Simmons. actually wasn't as bad of a hitter as, no. as you I got might have thought. Mike Bordick okay. is a great example Bordick's of one of those guys. a very good example of it. Bordick's yeah. an outstanding example of it, of course. As someone who... you When you think of Mike Bordick, all you think of is he was a hell of a defender. Yeah. But then you go back and you look at the numbers and you're like, damn, he was productive and helpful as Yeah, true. I think Simmons is a really good example because Simmons <laughs> never really had one great offensive season but he was always probably the best defender in any team he played for i keep coming back to but there's a secondary problem to this all of these scenarios were still leaving mateo at shortstop and that's still a problem the orioles have to deal with at some point i i you can keep telling me that when someone plays that that good of defense they can just keep playing but with the team struggling as much as they are offensively it's been the argument. I t- actually talked to Bordick about it the other day, and Bordick is enamored with Joey Ortiz. I'm sorry, with the Jorge Mateo, the defensive player. Bordick is in love, and would say you absolutely have to play Jorge Mateo because of everything that he brings to the table defensively. He says, "Look, you don't make that move until it's really hurting the rest of your lineup." And I don't know how far into this we have to get before we acknowledge that it's really hurting the rest of the lineup. It's not that all of this is Jorge Mateo's fault, but he's definitely the low man on the totem pole offensively. So I I still think that's a problem that has to be dealt with. And I get it. I'm probably... I. I all of these things. I was the guy that was ready to kick Dean Kramer out of the rotation before his start in Atlanta, and now, you know, look at where he is today. Like, I, I know I'm the guy that always has the quicker trigger finger than most people do. But if you're calling up one of these guys, at some point I'm saying put Westberg or Henderson at shortstop. Like, let them be your shortstop. I, I can't just keep trotting out Jorge Mateo while the team is going through as terrible offensive struggles as they are and saying, but he's a solid defender. I, I get it. He is. He's an outstanding defender. But he's a zero. You're, you're, at the moment, you're hitting a pitcher. That's the production you're getting from, from a sustained period of time is the level of a pitcher. I, I can't just keep doing that for the sake of doing it. So as we're trying to solve all these problems, at some point, if it's Joey Ortiz, I would say, have Joey Ortiz come up and be your shortstop. Somebody's got to provide a little bit more, something a bit more than what Jorge Mateo has been doing of late. 
Let's talk more about the Orioles' plight at the moment. Again, these are good problems to have when you're one of the better teams in baseball instead of having these problems when you're flirting with 500. Uh, John Mioli from the Baltimore Banner is back with us now here on the program. John, it's Glenn. It's good to catch up, man. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. I was, I, we could talk about Jorge Mateo after, too. <laughs> I have some thoughts. Okay, well, hang on. Let's start there then. Let's just follow up on that conversation. I I get it. Jorge Mateo is outstanding defensively. I understand that. I'm not saying that people. you have the right to have a week or two weeks where the bat is off and still be able to produce. I, I just think we're getting to a point where it is impacting the entire team and they are not producing enough offensively. And at some point... You can't just keep justifying sending Jorge Mateo out there to hit 100 over the span of three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my working theory even through last year was that like Ramon Urias is the player that people think, but a lot of people think Jorge Mateo is. Mm. Um, mm. He is the he is like the well-rated. Uh, he is an actually well-rated defender. Um, he won a Gold Gloves, uh, as we know. Jorge Mateo did not. Uh, he is very consistently productive. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to say that. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. I might have tried to write it um, without doing it so directly. That's so a... I just wanted to say that. Um, and, and, two, I don't think the Orioles will do it. But I think to, to, to the point that what you were talking about uh, with Cedric Mullins being out, um, if you want to put someone who's not Jorge Mateo at shortstop, you can say, hey, Jorge, we're going to run you out there a couple times in the outfield. I know you haven't played the outfield since you came over. Um, from San Diego because we've had a lot of outfielders and we didn't really have shortstops when you came over, but you've played center field before, you've played the outfield before. Why don't you get reacclimated to the outfield? Um, see how that feels in the meantime, whether it's Joey Ortiz, Gunnar Henderson, whoever else plays shortstop. And then if it's not working, if he's still not hitting, then if he can't play center field to the level that you want him to, he goes to the bench, someone else comes up to play center field and whoever was playing shortstop before stays playing shortstop and the problem solved. Um, I, I look, I, if it's going to be a platoon, I have no problem saying Jorge Mateo can be part of that platoon, right? Like, I, I think that's at this point, the way that you should be using Jorge Mateo is sort of as a platoon player and a utility player at some point. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to that. I guess the question becomes, is there a better, is the, is the better theory to make it a, you know, platoon of McKenna and Vavra and whoever else, or is it to maybe say, Hey, We've got a glut of infielders. Perhaps Adam Frazier is the guy that should go run around in left field for a little while until we have some sort of answer. I think that those are the players, if you're sitting here right now with like a here and now snapshot of what, um, you know, what they are going to do to get the most productive lineup on the field right now, like Jorge Mateo would not be involved in it. No, um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any, you know, I don't think there's any controversy in saying that. Um, but I think that, you know, Ryan McKenna has hit in, in the spurts that he's gotten this year. I don't know what that looks like on an everyday basis. I know that Adam Frazier has hit a lot better lately. And, then, you know, it goes back to, I remember my first month on the beat, um, Joey Rickard, roll five sensation, um, you know, was hitting the cover off the ball in April. And it's really helping the Orioles to a good start. And a scout told me, you know, this is what fourth outfielders and bench players do. They can help you win games for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they come back down to, <laughs> to come back down to earth. And once you don't need them anymore, or you can put someone else in, you know, you put them back on the bench and they help you in other ways. And, and, you know, you can say that about Ryan McKenna. You can say that about Jorge Mateo, if that's his ultimate destiny, but, but, you know, that's what these players are there for. And I think there's a distinction between them and someone like Adam Frazier, who has proven 
um, even if he's not going to be the most exciting player that, you know, he could be in there every day. Uh, John, in a perfect world, look, in a perfect world, Cedric Mullins doesn't get hurt, obviously, so let's start with yeah, that. Yeah, that would be a great yeah, world. right? That would be a far more perfect world for the Orioles. In a perfect world, if Cedric Mullins was going to get hurt, then you have a healthy Colton Kowser, and this provides you the opportunity that probably needed to come soon anyway because it appeared as though he had graduated, where you get an extended look at Colton Kowser, who a lot of people believe is your center fielder of the future anyway. I, let me start there because I guess the first thought is we know he's on the IL. I'm not. He's. It seems like he's been on the seven-day IL for two weeks, so I'm not really sure how far away he would be. Um, but more realistically, how prepared, whenever he's ready, do you think Colton Kowser would be if this is a prolonged situation for Cedric Mullins to be an everyday major league center fielder at this point? It's complicated. Um, you know, by virtue of having, you know, I think 300 plate appearances almost on the butt in AAA, you know, he's been there longer than Allie Rutschman was or Gunnar Henderson was. And he's, you know, check that box. They're not going to call people at fashion. They called them up. Um, I think a lot of the development issues that you kind of ended up seeing with, with, with especially Gunnar Henderson, even though he's a little younger, um, could pop up with Colton Kowser. You just don't see a lot of lefties in the high minors anymore. Um, and that turned out to be something that Gunnar Henderson struggled with. I think Colton Kowser basically hit two home runs off a lefty in one game that raises OPS off lefties like 500 points in the span of a day. Um, otherwise, he's been struggling to hit that. My gut is that even though it would have been the clear and obvious thing to do, that the Orioles would have looked for every alternative before they did it just because it's early to add him to the 40-man roster. Um, it's still relatively early in his development time at triple a even though it seems like he has really figured it out and taken a step um after getting exposed to the level last year and really starting a little slowly this year he's really gone into a groove there i don't think there's any scenario where um you could say that he has not produced um enough to make it up in a perfect world but i don't think the orioles would let their hand be forced if they weren't planning on calling him up in june so that's why i kind of say it's complicated and and even though he would be the obvious choice, I don't right. know that he would have been the actual one. Uh, I, I I understand. I understand what you're saying. It still just sort of feels like what what are, get get to the point already. <laughs> like get to it. Yeah. You got to be there. So okay. So then we go to Westberg for a second. It, is Westberg the answer in some capacity? Whether it's moving Mateo off of being the everyday shortstop, whether it's letting him have a chance to be the second baseman if you're going to run Frazier out in the outfield, whether it's letting Westberg have a shot at a corner outfield spot, is the logical choice to bring up Westberg to solve some level of this puzzle? I think the fact that it might be a longer-term absence um, for Cedric Mullins might make it so that he is kind of the option for that. I can kind of see the Orioles' logic, and if they're going to need some, a solution for a week, two weeks, you know, I think Ramon Arias was out for like three weeks. Wasn't the most, it wasn't the most pressing need to like bring somebody up temporarily. If this is a month long injury uh, for Cedric Mullins, and I think you can justify having Jordan Westberg added to the roster and being a part of that. That said, Joey Ortiz has not done anything to, to say that he wasn't, he doesn't deserve that same chance. He's already on the roster. I mean, they said basically he got, sent down through no fault of his own last week. Um, they could bring him back now. Um, I think, unfortunately, just because of the dynamics of who's on the roster and how that's set up, 
means that that's probably the way they go. But I think it's really fascinating that, you know, they keep seeming to find reasons for Jordan Westberg to not be here right. um, when he's played over a full season in AAA. And, and you know, there's a lot of swing and miss there. I, I, I don't want to say that there's not, but I don't think that I, – I don't think – I don't know what the reason to call him up will will be if it's not this. I I I feel like I, by the way the funny thing is I've liked everything I've seen from Joey Ortiz right like he's been yeah. way more productive hitter than I think a couple of years ago we thought Joey Ortiz was going to be um, and I don't want to oversell that and suggest that he's you know some prodigious offensive player he's clearly everything that he was advertised to be as a defensive player I, I think the problem that I'm having John is that it's it's not just that you need to replace a player. This is a team that's struggling offensively and just lost their best offensive player. And I feel like the Orioles have to be considering, you need to find something that's explosive. Again, part of the answer has got to be that Gunnar Henderson's bat's got to come around at some point. Like There has to be more production from Gunnar Henderson. But you're not just replacing a player right now. You're replacing your best offensive player on a team that doesn't have a whole lot of players that are producing consistently consistently at the moment. And I feel like you might need to be a bit more aggressive in the decision that you make because, you know, you're in the throes of an AL East race. Exactly, exactly. And I think that I think that that's going to be, you know, I think that's going to be part of this equation where you're trying to figure out, like, who can you count on most to 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 give you that consistently, you know, both Joey Ortiz and Jordan Westberg are hitting the ball really, really hard all season. Not necessarily in the big leagues for a Joey Ortiz, but but it comes down to lineup construction too. Like, who can you count on to give you quality at bats? Who can you count on to not um, be overwhelmed? I'm 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 really fascinated to see, you know, who's who's driving, you know, from the airport right and <laughs> from right. BWI right now to, to Camden Yards because. It feels like a, it feels like a big moment. Um, I don't want to say that it's like some seminal thing and like there's all this stuff riding on it. Like, you know, I think that this team has shown that it can weather a lot of storms, and this is probably the biggest storm it's had to weather. But, but there are if there feels like there's some there's a lot of not wrong answers. There's a lot of answers that aren't very inspiring, and there's a couple that are, and and those are going to be the most challenging for them to pull the trigger on. So it's just a matter of seeing if they do it or not. That's, that's kind of where I am, man. Like I, again, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to fall into hyperbole too much, but I, I do think that the ability, this is the most difficult division, perhaps not just in baseball, but maybe in the history of baseball that you're talking about. Staying in that race is not going to be easy. And I do think that it's a bit of a seminal moment because I think Cedric Mullins has been your best player to this point in the season. Um, let me, let me go to the other spot. Tomorrow, the Orioles, we assume, are going to end up starting Austin Voth. I, I certainly get that you know, they're going to wait through tonight and make sure they don't need him, say, in the third inning tonight and, and not that, that he will be available until he's you know, not used tonight and then he'll start tomorrow. But where, where exactly are we with the Orioles and D.L. Hall right now, John? Because I, I do feel like at some point they have to start moving towards an answer as to what D.L. Hall is. And I think a lot of us believe the answer going into the season was he's a reliever. And that's that's difficult to stomach because he was such a highly regarded, you know, starting pitching prospect for a while. But I, I, I sort of ultimately feel like that's gonna be the best way to use him. They're hell bent on trying to still make him a starter. At some point, don't they have to go through the motion of let him sink or swim as a major league starter and then get on with it after that point? 
I, th- I, th- I think so. I think that that's kind of where this is all heading. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, Michael, I was talking about how many rotation, um, how many starters in the Orioles rotation have not pitched a full season um, and the things they'll have to do to manage that. I assume that somewhere there's a whiteboard or a chalkboard or a, you know, a spreadsheet that has a certain period of time where someone, whether it's Kyle Bradish or Tyler Wells, goes down to Norfolk for a two to three week, like, innings management um, segment and Tia Hall comes up and just makes a couple starts and like, we see what it looks like um, in, in terms of where he is now, this little like load management thing they're doing with him um, to me felt necessary just given, you know, he, he said it himself when he came out to pitch in the big leagues that his velocity has been down because he didn't really get the chance to, to exercise and work out while he was coming back from his back injury. He didn't have the strength. Um, there were a lot of strengths starts down there in Norfolk where it seemed like even without that velocity, he was pitching well, um, which is encouraging to see, but you've seen they've had him pitching shorter spurts over the last couple of weeks, just pitching once a week. Um, I assume that would be today. Uh, again, if they are staying on the same Tuesday schedule, but his velocity has ticked up pretty significantly. I think his last start, he averaged 94 miles an hour in his fastball, which is closer to what you would expect from him um, than the low 90s. So I think that you know, the timing right now, given Grayson Rodriguez going out and potentially needing a starter, doesn't really align. But, but you know, I'm, I've always, you know, I think it's a blind spot of mine personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I acknowledge it. Doesn't mean that it's right, but I just think that like you let him start until he tells you that he can't, and like just not having the chance to do it yet is not to me telling, to, like telling anyone that he can't. So, so I'm I'm in, I'm in the let him start camp. Um, if if circumstances dictate that that's temporary and he needs to go to the bullpen and help his team that way. Like worst things have happened. Uh, but, but I, I'm looking forward to the month, two months of, of DL hall and the rotation to really see what it looks like because it's like year five of having this conversation. I just want to know the answer one way or the other. Oh, and by the way, it, it's, it's also part of a bigger issue. And I know that's something that you're going to be focusing on this summer for the Baltimore banner. And, you know, f- during the course of the rebuild, I remember, I think Connolly wrote about it like five times that, the arms aren't there, right? Like, that for as much as we talk about the Orioles' position players, the arms aren't there. Grayson's, you know, that that's a whole different conversation. Hopefully he gets that worked out, and this is nothing but a blip on the radar. But, but what else is there? Like, I think like it's the difficult part about this. You're going to go to Austin Voth, and isn't that in part a reflection of there isn't really another option? There's just nothing more at the moment that you feel strongly about as far as pitching prospects are concerned within the Orioles system. There's guys, you know, the McDermott's, the Povich's they acquired that they're hoping turn into quality major league starters. But I, I, and I, I this is a great opportunity for you to plug the, what it is that you're doing. But like, I, I think it's a reflection of how little they have that the answer kind of has to be Austin both, despite the fact that Austin both hasn't pitched well this season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's something that, you know, I don't want to say kick the can on, but you just, you just can't really know, you know, coming out of 2020 with everyone kind of pitching like four innings at a time. And like, you know, I've joked about it for three years with people now. It's like everybody in the Orioles organization, you know, pitches four plus innings um, once, maybe twice a week and strikes out six guys and gives up two runs. And you just have a bunch of pitchers with, with the same stats and the same arsenal and all of them drafted on the third day of the draft or, or acquired in trades or signed after the draft. And he's just like, what is this? Um, I think that, to hold like the pitching depth chart to the standard of like how many Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall types 
there are is not is not super um i don't want to say fair it's not it's not a comprehensive look at it um you know i've literally gone to you know i've probably been to like a half dozen eight nine uh orioles minor league games this year and i've seen somebody like really interesting on the mound every single time and really interesting doesn't mean somebody's going to be able to pitch six innings every five days in the big leagues. Um, I think you're seeing increasingly that those guys don't exist as much in the minors, but you still need to figure out what the value of the guys that the Orioles have are. Um, are they just trying to be the Rays where like you'll stumble into a couple starters and like everyone else can just get you like three innings every couple days and, and be a matchup monster and, and be up and down and just have a bunch of pitchers who can get you innings and, and, option them down and bring up another pitcher who can get you winning. Like, is that a viable solution? Is that what they're looking for? So I'm going to spend a lot of time this summer trying to figure that out, honestly, uh, and, and talk to people with other teams and people around the organization as to what they kind of think all this is, because they pre- feel pretty emboldened by the, the, you know, what they've done and taking, you know, the hitters they've taken high in the drafts, because you look at the pitchers who have been taken in the top of the last few drafts and some of them have shot to the big leagues and a lot more of them are are nowhere, to be frank. So they feel like their strategy has worked out, but it's left them in a really weird place on the pitching side. And I, and eventually we're going to have to see what that looks like at the big league level. I don't know if it's going to be this year. You're talking about like maybe a Noah Denoyer or a Drew Rom coming up. Um, it might be a year away still, but you have to figure out what it looks like at some point. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Or they're going to have to go out and do a whole lot, and it's just not something that we've ever seen the Orioles do, frankly, in their history as far as acquiring pitchers is concerned. Um, yeah. At, at John Mioli on Twitter is how you follow him, and Arms on the Farm. I See, I, I can handle the plug for you. Arms on the Farm at the Baltimore Banner and BaltimoreBanner.com. Uh, appreciate you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Let's do it again soon, all right? Good talking. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. John Mioli with us here on GCR from the Baltimore Banner. Um, certainly didn't provide any clarity, obviously, but that's part of the the nature of the situation is that if yeah. there was a clear answer, we probably already have it by now. And, yes, part of it is we need to get some sort of definition about the – we have to hear something – more significant about what exactly is the the timetable for Cedric Mullins, and uh, he's got to go on the injured list first. I mean, that's the the first right. step of anything well, but before that, that someone one else. Seems like it's probably the easiest part. We think, uh, we yeah, because I mean, if you add him the, to the likelihood of him not needing it in IL stint, sure. Like the only reason why you wouldn't put him on the IL is if there was any chance he could be back in a week, right? Right. Like, right, right, right. And even at a week, you'd probably say throw, that's him, a, throw him on the ten day list. And, correct. Right. And and, that, and that's if the more effective and if strategy. we if we end up losing him for two days that we could have had him, we'll we'll live with that because it's right. more difficult to go a week without a, a, a roster spot he, that's he, yeah that's being wasted. Um. So that seems like the easy part is he's going to be on today. They're going to put Cedric Mullins, like, almost certainly on the IL in some capacity. The question is, what are they planning for as they make whatever decision they're making? Are they planning for a short-term answer? Are they planning for a long-term? I I still think it's that short-term answer. I really do. I still think Joey Ortiz is coming up But no matter what Cedric Mullins' injury is, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to have a short-term answer. That's what I'm saying. And then they're going to figure out whatever. Yeah, I I think maybe mid-June they'll realize, okay, the short-term answer has kind of run its course. Joey Ortiz is, you know, whatever he's slashing at that time, 230, right. 320, right. Uh, 390, let's say. Throw, I mean, throw I'd, that out I there. don't know. I'd, 
I know that's not impressive, but like given what Jorge Mateo has been doing, it, it's, of better, late, it's better than Jorge like, Mateo. Like, that's uh, that yeah. we would call that an upgrade. <laughs> is what I, we I would call would. that. But I think realistically, if Jordan Westberg's up here, he's going to hit better than that. I, I think Joey Ortiz is. You know, you 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 mentioned it. The hitting's been better over the past two years, mm-hmm. but consistently Jordan Westbrook has been a better bat in the minor leagues. So I think that's going to translate to the majors. I, you would you, one would think. Yeah, I I think that's I think I think that's the case. But too. even even Jordan Westbrook could be a short term answer if Colton Cowser is the guy they really want to be the long term answer for Cedric Mullins, which well, would again, be again, the obvious th- choice. That's the look. If Cedric Mullins is going to be out for three to four months, if he's going to be out for the better part of the rest of the season. Then Colton Cowser is the answer. We we can't pretend yeah. like there. You have to fire as long as he's healthy enough to do it. Yeah. Right. And again, that goes speaks to me just not knowing as much about his situation. Right. At some point in the coming weeks, that's the bullet that you have to fire sure. because it's sort of a two birds with one stone thing. It's a a cleaner answer to your situation, and it's something you were probably going to have to do anyway. Right. Both because he was going to graduate and because you want to have that answer. It in effects. I, I was the one that was two weeks ago screaming about paying Cedric Mullins. Well, you got to figure out if like if Colton Cowser is your center fielder of the future, and then next year you're planning on Cedric Mullins playing a corner outfield spot mm-hmm. instead. Well, then you got to figure out whose corner outfield spot that is. As we would all point out, Austin Hayes has been outstanding to start this season. But you know he was outstanding to start the season last year. He yeah. was frankly even better than this to start the season a year ago and wasn't able to sustain that as the year goes on. Um, you know, I've said a few times, I don't know that you can have both Anthony Santander and Ryan Mountcastle in the middle of your order. At some point, I feel like it's kind of going to have to be one or the other to make way for a different type of yeah. bat. Um, I, you had to do the Colton Cowser thing at some point this season anyway. Right. This presents a cleaner opportunity to see him specifically in center field where otherwise you wouldn't have wanted to move Cedric Mullins out of center field at any point this season. This could, and again, I don't want this because I'd rather just have Cedric Mullins, but this could provide you that opportunity to get a prolonged look at what Colton Cowser is as a center fielder and whether or not he truly is your center fielder of the future as a franchise. Glenn, what you said about you know last year with with these games not mattering as much, I think the pressure is a little higher it's, this it's year. It's a completely different because you look at like you know look at what happened to Toronto. They have a tough ten days and boom, they're in last. Right. So it's I think the pressure is you could say pretty high on the front what, office. What, to, what Jami always said about being a seminal moment, but kind of be we we don't want to say it because it's too hyperbolic. This is a good baseball team that. You know, just came through a stretch where they played some of the best teams in baseball and came out of it. You right. know, what, what are they at the moment? Thirteen and ten right. against some of the best teams in baseball. Now, even including yesterday against Cleveland, you don't want to be hyperbolic about well, this could be make or break. But the reality is, what you just said about Toronto is kind of the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, you're not in the AL Central. If you were in the AL Central, you could, you know, and you had this record, you'd be fine. You could live yeah. with going, but you need a jolt now without Cedric Mullins you can't just get by with a replacement level player a three and seven next 10 games is devastating to, um, to where you are incredibly devastating yeah. and by the way start with the fact that you're already one in three over your last four as I knock the headphones yeah off right that, you're <laughs> only talking face. about potentially going two and four over your next six and all of a sudden you have gone three and seven over a 10 game span right it's this is a really significant I, we can't undersell it I, I understand why we don't want to fall into the trap of hyperbole, but we can't undersell the significance of this moment for this team 
with the bigger goals that they have. It speaks a lot to with John Muley saying that because I feel like John Muley over the years I've read his writing has always been someone who's not very reactive to things no. where he takes he looks at the bigger picture but obviously right now this is but a very crucial moment. I think part of it is we are looking at the bigger picture. Sure we are, no the, doubt. The bigger picture you can say is well hey this team wasn't going to win the World Series this year anyway. We got a little carried away because they were you know, winning series against the Rays and the Yankees. Yeah. But this team was never going to win the World Series this year anyway, so maybe it's not the end of the world. But at the same time, you still want this to be a team that's taking a step forward, a right. definitive step forward this season. And that's not easy to do in the AL East. That's not simple. Especially with your arguably best player Correct. on the injured list for 60 days Perhaps. or whatever it's going to be. Right. Perhaps a significant amount of time. Right. Again, we still, we're still waiting on that. We continue to monitor and see if we can't. I feel like I've searched Cedric Mullins on Twitter a hundred times over the course of the last four hours because that's how important Cedric Mullins has been to this team, that you need to get an answer. And like the Twins, say the Twins lose Buxton for okay. 60 days, they can still They'll win live. that division. They'll live. They probably still would win that division. Because they're without Buxton basically every year anyway. Exactly. So there is a good point to be made about that. All right. Today's show also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. A couple of things quickly. One, I do have a column coming today at pressboxonline.com. I don't know if it's up yet or not. I am wading into the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. I'm in a really weird place with it, where almost every time in the history of this franchise when someone asked me, hey, what do you think about X receiver? My answer has been yes or sure or, well, it's sure not worse than what you have or some form of that. There's almost never been a time where I haven't been in the affirmative when it comes to the Ravens and a wide receiver that was out there. And I'm not telling you that I'm opposed to DeAndre Hopkins. I'm just not as quick to jump on it this time around and you got to let me explain. So PressBoxOnline.com today, I've got a column up about the complications to me of the DeAndre Hopkins conversation, which are not monetary. They're more related to the significant... I don't want to give the whole thing. Hey, what the hell, it's what I do every Monday. It, it's about, I think this year needs to be about the development of Bateman and Flowers. I think the Ravens have the opportunity to do something they've never done in their history where they have two young wide receivers that can create a cornerstone at a position that they've never, literally never had. They've never had two young, talented wide receivers on the team for a prolonged period of time. It's never happened in franchise history. They've had one with a veteran wide receiver. They've had Torrey Smith with Anquan Bolden or Torrey Smith with Steve Smith. They've had two veteran wide receivers to get. They've never had two high-level young receivers on the field together for more than a season. They have a they had obviously Bateman and Brown together for one season. They have an opportunity to create something they've never had in franchise history and to make it a strength in the coming years. And I don't want to mess with the development of either either Bateman as a legitimate number one type of guy, which we saw, we saw when he was healthy a year ago, he was capable of becoming. Not saying he was, because it was too small of a sample size, but he was capable of becoming that type of player. I don't want to screw with that. 
That's so valuable to me. But I get it. You can't have enough good football players. Unfortunately, guys get hurt. Zay Flowers is a rookie. I understand the argument for DeAndre Hopkins. I get it. I just feel like my priority is going to be Bateman and Flowers. That's what I'm concerned about this season. So you'll be able to read about it at Press Packs Online. Yes, you can go ahead, Zach. No, I don't want to steal your thunder here from your no, article. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just plugging. I, I feel it's the need to intersect here. I think that the Ravens are going to find out very quickly, and because it's been the most injured position over the past five years for them, mm-hmm. that quarterback is extremely weak. And I, I think they should be that. using every single resource that they have to try to figure out how to fix that. I hear you on that. I don't think there are a lot of good options out there. They're probably no. Like this is a, this aren't. is all part of the because I do think it's a relevant part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But DeAndre Hopkins is available. Quality cornerbacks aren't really available. That's true, right? I, I just think that DeAndre so, Hopkins takes up the cap space that possibly I, another corner could there's fill. There's no doubt about that. I just don't know. And somebody would say, well, there could be still guys that come after June first. Yes, there could be, but. There's not going to be a DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins caliber corner right. that's going to become available after June 1st. It's a very unique circumstance by which a player of this caliber, and I get all that there's warts, right? He's over 30, and you know he's dealt with a couple of injuries the last couple of years, and obviously there's a suspension on top of it, but this is still maybe the greatest catch radius in football history that we're talking about sure. in DeAndre Hopkins. So it's a very complicated picture for me. Marlon Humphrey goes down, and you've got... I, Nothing. Dude, and Marlon, no, you're, then you're hoping the health, that Pepe Williams takes yes, a big Even with step. a healthy right. Marlon Humphrey, you're you're in a bit of a bond. I mean, Rocky Sin, he's fine. He was I'm, a standout correct. on a I'm, really bad Oakland secondary yes. last year. But I, I er, Oakland, I, I should say yes, Las Vegas yes, now. Yes. But they, to me, are a weak group outside of Marlon Humphrey. Brandon Stevens, no offense to Brandon. Well, I know they, he's been on the show and a and lot. He's and just not very Allegedly, they moved him to safety. So he's not even part of the That does sound like the... And Jalen Armour Davis, we he's been injured. We don't really know. Trust me, your feelings about the cornerback situation, I am... I'm worried. I'm flat out worried about it. I'm in strong agreement with you. I just don't have an answer to address that right now, whereas you have the opportunity to improve your team in another position. So I get why we're having the conversation. I'm... I am... I'm not going to be mad if the Ravens tomorrow sign DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to be angry about it. I'm just not I'm not in love with it. I'm not rushing to say, yes, immediately, go do it. Now you're going to win the Super Bowl. I, I don't feel that way about it. You can read about it today at PressBoxOnline.com. Patrick Stevens joins us. Now, we still have a lot of things to get to. Uh, NCAA lacrosse season wrapped up this weekend. Plus, uh, we still need to talk about the Game 7 from last night. Both the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup Finals are now set. So we'll cover all that before we wrap up today here on GCR. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue along here on a Tuesday edition of the program. Again, don't forget PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Go there right now. Get $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after you place your first $5 bet. You can see this and other great sportsbook offers right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Uh, Patrick Stevens is about to join us. We are going to put the finishing touches on college lacrosse season and college sports season. It's actually sad for me because it means it's our last conversation with Patrick for the year um, as unless news warrants, unless there's some significant uh, newsworthy moment that occurs, um, then there's just no reason for us to do it. Salisbury University, by the way, did win their 13th NCAA lacrosse championship this weekend, winning the D3 title over Tufts. They match uh, Hobart for the most all-time, and of course Hobart can no longer win D3 titles, so an opportunity in the coming years for Salisbury to have the most D3 titles in lacrosse history. Your national champion at the D1 level is Notre Dame for the first time in the history of that program. Joining us now to tell us more about how it happened, he is our friend Patrick Stevens at Discourse D1S Course on Twitter, USA Lacrosse Magazine. Patrick, good morning, sir. How was your weekend in Philadelphia? Oh, it was uh, productive. Uh, how was your holiday weekend? It was it was lovely. I got to, you know, the kids get to run around, hop in the pool, all that sort of stuff. It was all right. I, you were treated, it's particularly on Saturday, some damn good lacrosse. Um, I, w- did you think that Duke's struggles on Saturday were a precursor to what we ultimately saw on Monday? Well, the funny thing is, is that Duke's struggles on Saturday had to do with their defense not playing. That's fair. Yeah. And their struggle and their yeah. struggles on Monday had everything to do with their offense not playing. And, and obviously I mean, a hot goalie you, too. On the other the side. hot goalie, the hot yeah. goalie a little bit, but yeah. I mean that was also I think a function of Notre Dame's defense basically um, giving Entenman, to his credit, he made 18 saves. I'm not trying to take away from that, uh, and a few of them were pretty good, but a lot of them were fairly routine. And he was basically taking shots from 12, 15 yards and gobbling yeah. them up. And 
there were a, there were a couple in there that looked like it was somebody warming up the goalie pregame, um, just sort of just kind of tossing it in there and and seeing what was going to happen. So, you know, I look at Duke having missed its last twenty three shots of the first half. Uh, that that I think had had a lot to do with with uh, with that, and I, I that was not what we saw the day earlier. You know, one thing that or two days earlier, one thing that was interesting was that. We saw Brennan O'Neill play great in the first half against Penn State, didn't take a shot in the second half or overtime, uh, and then was kind of silenced a goal in the sixth right. uh, against Notre Dame, much much as he had struggled against Chris Fake and Notre Dame in the regular season. So I don't know if there was necessarily uh, um, one influencing the other, but it was kind of a reminder that, that Duke was kind of up and down, and you didn't know when they were going to have 10, 15 minutes where they just didn't play very well. The, the amazing thing is, is that you look at Notre Dame and, you know, they had a couple garbage goals off the, gr- off the ground balls in the first half. They had the goal against the 10 man ride. They had the, uh, there was at least one extra man goal in there. So that's, that's four. Uh, and then um, the open net goal late. I mean, it's five of their 13 goals were, you know, certainly not anything remotely close to being settled goals. So, if you're looking at the Duke defense, you got to feel pretty good about at, at most giving up eight settled goals over the course of 60 minutes against that offense. It was, it was Duke's offense that let it down the other yesterday. That's fair. It's completely fair. I, I, you know, I come away from this weekend, Patrick. This is a sport where it's difficult to break through and to join the club, right? Like it's not easy to create new national champions. But it almost kind of felt like, in a way, this was somewhat poetic for Notre Dame as a program that has been there, that has been in the mix year after year, was making a six-final four trip. It seemed like at some point they had more than earned as a program banging down the door and joining the club of national champions. Well, well, the truly poetic part for the Irish was that it came against Duke. Sure. Because when you go back and look, you know, they 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 lost in the 2010 final to Duke. Yeah. They lost in the 2011 quarterfinals to Duke. They lost in the 2014 final to Duke. They lost in the 19 quarterfinals to Duke. There's another one in there. I can't remember which which year it was off the top of my head. Uh, but but there's a bunch of losses to Duke. They went 0 and 5 in the 2010 in the NCAA tournament against Duke. And so that uh that's one of those things that you go well if you're going to have to slay the dragon you know to to get there it, it, it kind of makes sense. So. Uh, and certainly, as we talked about last week, when we were talking about Penn State, if they if they won a the title, they were going to have to go through Duke and then one of those ACC teams. Well, you know, Notre Dame went through arguably yep. the two other elite teams in the country. Uh, total gut check on Saturday, which frankly I found immensely impressive. Coming out of those three late timeouts and mm-hmm. regulation and overtime and needing a combined 33 seconds to score. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous mm-hmm. in in terms of its efficiency. And then to do what they did, pouncing quick, uh, and then just kind of playing a Notre Dame type of game, just a solid defensive game to give the goalie what he wanted, and a balanced offensive attack. It didn't matter that Pat Cavanaugh wasn't fully healthy and was himself this weekend, and particularly on Monday. Um, you know, they had enough other guys to take care of things, and, and frankly, Pat Cavanaugh might have only had one assist yesterday. But he kept Kenny Brower occupied the entire That's fair. day. Yeah. And that and that by itself, keeping a first team all America defenseman busy, just minding the store basically, that was more that was more than worthwhile. It wasn't like he was throwing the ball around or anything like that. He was a decoy that basically was keeping uh keeping um you, know, you would certainly say, you know, if you'll you'll take one assist 
from him if it means that Kenny Brower isn't playing as, as much of a role uh, for the Duke defense in, in terms of shutting somebody somebody down at that point. It's almost like a five-on-five game at some point during that game yesterday. Patrick Stevens is with us here on GCR. Patrick, you bring up Pat Kavanaugh, who, you know, again, from a statistical standpoint, uh, was not a significant impact. We have talked over the years about the number of times that the Tawaratan simply came down to who was the best player on the team that ultimately won the national championship. Um, I, I don't think Pat Kavanaugh clinched that as Notre Dame won the national championship. So who's the Tawaratan winner when it's announced on Thursday? Well, first of all, 11 of the 22 winners have come from a national championship. Um, we look back and say, well, who won the, like the USILA Player of the Year Award? Which the Enters Trophy, the Enters Award. And that was Brandon O'Neill. Um, so, you know, kind of doing a little digging on that. The only two times that the Tawaraton winner has come from a runner-up when there was a finalist uh, on the winning team were 2007 when Matt Donowski won it over okay. Paul Rabel and some other people, and in 2009 when Max Seibold won it from Cornell over uh, over um, Abbott, who was the guy's name, um, for, from Syracuse. I was just blanking on the name there for a minute. So, you know, it, it hasn't happened in a while. Um, and so is it possible that they give it to Brennan O'Neill? Certainly. He had some fabulous numbers. If we were sitting here pointing out who had the best tournament out of anybody, it's Connor Schellinger, yep. who went six points, ten points, six points over three games, which uh, was an exceptional showing. But he was also inconsistent and injury riddled during the during the regular season. I mean, he missed a game. You know, I mean, Kavanaugh might as well have, have uh, you know not been much of a factor there yesterday. I think that you look at Schellenberger. I think he is thirty goals, fifty four assists. Kavanaugh was about twenty five and fifty two playing for the championship team, I think that the committee, the Tawaraton committee, will just simply default to the best, best player, player on the best team type of thing. Because that's what they usually do. I don't think there's an overly compelling case for anybody else. This is not a year where Pat Spencer just has more right. ridiculous numbers than right. somebody else. Or Lyle Thompson has more ridiculous numbers than somebody else. There are a couple 65-goal scorers that are on that um, that are on that finalist too, list, too, in C.J. Karst from Cornell and Tucker Dordovic from Georgetown, uh, neither of them had deep runs into the postseason with their teams. And my, my guess is is that neither of them ends up uh, with the hardware this week. I, I think it, come, it was going to come down to those three ACC guys this weekend. And since none of them either you know, both won a title and you know, or made it to Monday, I should say, because Schellenberger, I think, still had the better. Statistically, I think he had the best weekend of the three, right. uh, even though he only played in one game. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think ultimately they'll probably just default to Kavanaugh. And, and Notre Dame has never had a Tawaraton winner, which I was that. actually a little mildly surprised by, given the number of both goalies, even though that's not a position that tends to win that award, uh, but, but high-end players that they've had over the years. Patrick, I know it's silly to uh, start looking ahead at this point, but I'm going to guess that USA Lacrosse Magazine is probably going to ask you to do it soon anyway, so I'll ask you to do it too. And I know it's probably even more ridiculous now in the era of, uh, of significant transfers, but what, what does this – advance me forward a year. What kind of conversation do you think we're likely to be having as we look to the Final Four next year? Well, I, I think we might see some very – Similar representation. That's my guess. Um, you know, like I mean, you look at you look at Notre Dame, and, and they've played the transfer game very well. When you look at Brian Tevlin, who played such a huge role, and Chris Fake and Chris Conlon, 
so they have some some holes to fill for sure. Uh, but they've got a lot of those dudes back from that offense, and there's no reason to think that talent-wise they're not going to be there. Now, will they have the same level of incentive? Will they have the same animating force that they had after getting uh, left out of the tournament last year? Probably not. I mean, and that's not any sort of criticism. It's just that there, there's certainly going to be a lot more satisfaction that comes from a victory lap on Monday, on Memorial Day, as opposed to, you know, turning in your equipment uh, the, the second week week of, the, of May. So, you know, I think they'll, they're going to certainly be a factor next year. I think Duke, with Brennan O'Neill back, you know, there's certainly some questions about that team and how, you know, how dynamic they really are on offense. I mean, that was something that John Donowski talked about a little bit after the game on Monday. Um, I, I look at them, though. I still think they're going to be there. Virginia loses a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, but they still still have Schellenberger. But they, they, you know, Xander Dixon's gone. I believe Thomas McCondy's gone from the the grad transfer from Vermont. Uh, so maybe they're not quite at the same level they've been. But I also don't think that that's a team that's going to trail off too much. And they're probably a, a good bet to add a transfer to as well. So uh, those three teams would not be surprised to see. Would not be surprised if we saw. Uh, one of those Patriot League teams, or uh, not Patriot League teams, although Army very well could be. They've got most of their team back. They only have six seniors. Um, but one of those Ivy League teams, like a Cornell uh, could, or a Yale, if it can, it can rediscover a defense, uh, those are teams that could certainly be more of a factor next year. Uh, and, and maybe somebody out of the Big Ten. Maybe Hopkins takes that next step mm-hmm. next year. Maybe Maryland rediscovers some things and stays healthy and, and gets a little bit, a little bit better luck next year than they did this year. Although let's face it, like I think a little bit of bad luck this year more than is outweighed by the good fortune that they, that they enjoyed a year earlier. Uh, and I'll throw another team out there that I don't know is going to be a final four team, but I think is going to be knocking on the door uh, next year. And that is Syracuse uh, that uh, there's a lot going right up there. They're, they've added some more key transfers already. Uh, Joey Spillana already looks like a star no, no. one year in. And so you know, I, I, I don't know if that decade-long drought for the Orange ends next year, uh, Final Four-wise, or what would be a 15-year title drought. That might be one more step ahead, but I, I do think that we will be hearing from the Orange here sooner rather than later. All right. He is Patrick Stevens for one final time this academic year. Let's play our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams that this particular player has played for? Um, I'll start with a tougher one of this group. I did not. I, I don't know how I didn't realize that this gentleman actually passed away quite a while ago. He passed away back in 2007. He was a three-time All-Star, and he was once the. I don't. I don't know if they even still give the Rollades Relief Man Award away anymore. I think they might have retired that one. Uh, he had a hell of a mustache. Four teams for mm-hmm. Rod Rodbeck. Rodbeck shooter. Uh, San Francisco for sure. Absolutely. Four teams of uh, the Cubs, I believe he was a Most he was a member with of. With the Cubs, correct? yep. Uh, do I remember him with the Padres? Yeah, at the end of his career, he came back for two years with the Padres. I had blanked on that and on this one, where he was from nine. He was a trade deadline acquisition in '99 and stayed with this team through 2001. Was he in Boston there for he went, a stretch? He went four for four on Rodback. I mean, what the hell do I do with that? How am I supposed to? I thought this might legitimately be one that you would struggle with and went four for four without any difficulty. So the other one I had, I was surprised. This man only an all-star once. 
Um, a bit more modern career ended in 2018, but four teams for James Shields. James Shields was in Tampa. Of course. Was in Kansas City. Yep. San Diego, where yes. he famously gave up Bartolo Colon's home run. It's amazing that that's his piece of history. Yes. And and the Chicago White Sox. There you go. Four for four on James Shields. Not a bad way to wrap up the year, my friend. Not bad at all. Uh, is there baseball in your future at all? Like, what do the next few weeks look like for you? Uh, ho- hopefully, kind of recuperating a little yeah. bit after a, a, a crazy May. But we'll be back on. We'll be back. Uh, Doing some stuff here soon enough, I'm sure. I have no doubt about that. At Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter. I uh, truly appreciate you, sir. Always enjoy it. If news warrants, you know we will be in touch and uh, look forward to uh, ramping up to a basketball preview in the fall. Appreciate you, as always, spending time with us every week. Thanks so much for having me this entire uh, academic year, Glenn. Thanks appreciate so much. you, sir. Patrick Stevens with us once again here on GCR as he is every week during um, basketball and lacrosse season and always appreciate him taking the time for us. Speaking of basketball, I uh, I know, Zach, you've got the big breakdown of Game 7 prepared for us. I know oh, yeah, that's spent a lot of time working my, on that, right? my forte. Right? Big, big basketball guy. Huge. Miami Heat. Um, by the way, today's show is also brought to you by the print issue of PressBox, which is available for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms and at the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox. Read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. Illustration of Jackson Holiday is on the cover, and at, at least one of these guys featured in this print issue of PressBox presumably is about to be a Baltimore Oriole in the next couple of days or week. Go get it right now today for free or read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. So... I absolutely, like Reed and I did a morning show yesterday on 105.7, and I was very much in the, I'm not telling you there's no chance, but I just can't fathom how Miami picks themselves back up after blowing a 3-0 series lead and losing in the fashion that they did in Game 6 when they had rallied from a 10-point deficit in the final three minutes and Jimmy Butler had put them ahead with four seconds left and Marcus Smart takes a terrible contested three and the entire arena is going nuts. And then out of nowhere, Derek White comes in and taps the ball in, and they win. And I said, "It's just got. There's no way. There's no way you recover from that." Because I know nothing about anything, and I'm a big dumb idiot. And not only was there a way, they obviously kicked the Celtics' teeth in. And part of it, Jason Tatum clearly didn't appear right last night. Um, got hurt and just never, never was in form. The Celtics were an abomination from beyond the arc during that game and never recovered from it. There was that moment in the third quarter where they got back within, was it seven? They get back within six it was at like, one point? It was like eight or seven, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like where it felt like with the atmosphere in the arena, it, it felt like something was happening. Two things. Caleb freaking Martin. What was going on with that? Is It's... There is some hilarity in the entirety of the story of the Miami Heat. There's some hilarity in the fact. I, I don't know how to define what to make of the fact that the city of Miami has two professional sports franchises that were both mediocre this season, that were both eight seeds in the playoffs, and they're both now playing for championships. Um, the the, the Lebetard Show folks, of course, because they're based in Miami, one of them tweeted out like the calendar of what the next like three weeks would look like for Miami sports fans, and it's just it's bat-ass bonkers. I, have, I just don't know how to explain what is the context for this. This makes no sense. 
The Miami thing makes no sense on every level. It's a roster of G League players. That's what they are. They're all there's Jimmy Butler, Bam, and a bunch of G League guys. And Bam stunk last night. Bam was terrible. Bam was really bad. He was awful. If you think uh, not to not to get too far ahead, but if you think it was ugly this series, now, I mean, now imagine imagine Jokic. So. Yeah, he was getting Just he was getting bodied by Al Horford, who I think is fifty. By the way, we probably should appreciate Al Horford more. He's had a hell of a career. The he, most I know about this entire situation. Yes. Uh, this is all you, Carson. By the way. Yeah. But I'm waiting. I, this is gonna be a dynamite <laughs> tipping. I. It is gonna be a dynamite. I always. I, this is always one of my favorite things. When Al somebody, Horford. When, okay, go ahead. Al Horford is. Yes. He's been in the league forever. Like I, yes. I remember playing 2K with Al Horford yeah, in like yeah. 2008. I don't Plus, know what it was. Plus, he but, actually played college basketball. It's not like he came into the league at 18 and has been in the league. Yeah, for I mean, forever. this is this has been a long he time. He played college basketball for multiple. He won multiple national championships in college. He played college basketball and has been yeah. in the league for forever. I just saw him getting roasted on Twitter last night for not having an NBA championship at this point. Yeah, that part is kind of nuts because he's he's. Been I don't on, think that's. It's not his fault. No, he's not I, his I fault. Mean, I don't, I don't like, come on. Like, well, he and by the way, he spent a lot of his career with the Hawks. He wasn't going to win a title with the Hawks. That's, so that's part there was of that one year when I didn't know that, but that's they accurate. had a loaded roster when it was the all the starting all star team Joe John, was, was Joe Johnson. Uh, Kyle Korver, God, who the hell is Jeff uh, Teague, was Paul Teague? Mills. Well, that Millsap was a couple years sure. later. Millsap, Damari Carroll was a great defensive. Yeah, there was a forward. moment where like the Hawks looked like they were going to be. Monsters. Well, there was one year uh, where the starting lineup in the All Star game for the East was LeBron and then the four right, and, 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 Hawks, yeah. and four Hawks. Um, I, that part I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that's ridiculous. Al Horford's had a hell of a. I mean he's been a, a damn good player. He's a five time All Star. He's He's a very accomplished player. It's not fair to judge him by the fact. In 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 a in a in an era where, until this year, we hadn't seen a big man lead a team to a championship in twenty twenty years. When was I mean Tim Duncan? If you want to count that, because uh, all right, but I but that I don't I don't say that a big that Tim Duncan led the Spurs to a title. He was their best player for sure. But he's not leading the team. But. The Spurs were such a different animal. Maybe that first title that he won, you could argue that he yeah. led them to. But after that, they became a completely different machine of defense and, and just, fundamentals. Like just team basketball. I think it's really funny to think about this, right? Because you would say that Dwayne Wade led the Miami team that Shaq was on to the title. I think you would say the the. Not all three of the Lakers' Shaq titles were Kobe titles. I think that, in fact, you would argue that the first one was The Froby title was Shaq, probably. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But we're talking about 20-plus years since we've seen a big man really lead a team no to doubt. a championship. So I don't no think doubt. you can judge Al Horford. That almost becomes dumb, dumb luck for Al Horford that he Definitely. was never on a team that actually won a title. But still, a guy who... A lot of people probably thought his career would be over by now. Oh, he's yeah. just completely found new life, and he's a he was a, I mean, he's effective. He's not. Dude, he's sixteen years into his yeah. career, and he's still and effective. Yes, he was doing a number on Bam. <laughs> on Bam. All right. Anyway, this isn't a, a, a segment trash Bam. The Heat story is wild. It is wild that a core of Jimmy Butler and Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, I mean, truly G League players. I'm not just saying that. These are all guys that came from the G League. Struess, G League guys, which does make you start to wonder if maybe at some point other teams should start looking to the G League and that maybe there is more value in the G League than once upon a time we believed it to be. We kind of believed it to be trash. Maybe there, maybe there is more value there 
then I hate saying this because I love college basketball, but maybe there is more value in watching the development of players in the G League, and maybe you are smarter to go the G League route, and there's something to be said for it, which is my way of saying that Pat Spencer is going to win an t- uh, NBA title next year. I don't think so, but it'd be cool if it did. That would be great. Um, it's an unbelievable story. Now, to the point, I think they're going to get hammered by the Nuggets. I think they're going to get railroaded by the Nuggets. I think they're going to, at best, win a game. I don't see a world where they don't, to be honest with you. I, I can't. I mean, short of if Jamal Murray were to get hurt again. Or Jokic. I think if. if yeah. I, the funny, thing, the the funny only... thing being, I actually think that the Nuggets are more capable of beating this Heat team with Murray and without Jokic than they are with Jokic and without Murray, right? Like, I sure. I know that feels weird because Jokic is... Jokic. But like you saw when the Suns won those two games at home, they were like, yo, we'll let Jokic score his 50 points. Like, yeah. we can let every possession go through Jokic. If that means they're not a threat on the perimeter, we'll live with that because we can match that. We can match... Especially if you're the Heat because, hey, look, like, you can say what you want. If there's one thing they can do is yes. they can shoot the three-point shot. Well, some Very of them well. can, yes. Uh, I mean, they've got, four, they've got three guys yeah. that can yeah, really yeah. knock them down from out there. Um, it's so weird how the series went. You'll never be able to explain it in a million years. There's no logic to it whatsoever. It's wild that basketball continues to be the only sport. We've never seen a team come down from 3-0 to win a series. Like, why that's the case, I don't, I don't think it's more rigorous. I, baseball, you're playing every day. Now, I get it. It's not the same physical sport that basketball is. I don't know how to explain. And I guess it's only happened once in baseball, so that's maybe unfair to compare to because it's not like in hockey it's happened a bunch of times. Um, but baseball it's happened once, and in basketball it's never happened. But um, it's wild. It's a wild story. I think it's a credit to Eric Spolstra, who I don't think ever got the respect that he deserved. He was treated as a guy that just sort of rode – LeBron. LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh two titles and he's now taken two more it's it's tough because we don't we don't count the bubble like it's just kind of what it is but he has taken two more teams to the NBA finals without those dudes Jimmy Butler as I continue to say throughout the course of this postseason one of the most likable I, I am all I'm enamored with Jimmy Butler man I think he kicks ass I think he's fun it's the reason why he's so great in all these commercials because he has this awesome personality. He is his story is incredible of where he came from to get to this point. I mean, somebody says that this is a disappointing. If you want to say it's a disappointing NBA final from a matchup perspective because none of us believe there's a chance that it can go six or seven games, fine, I'll hear you. But from a storyline perspective, get the entire f out of here with that. This is, we've been poisoned by, like, boxing is nothing but celebrities anymore. Like, unless Jake Paul is boxing, no one wants to watch. We are so poisoned by that culture that we're losing, because it's not LeBron James and Steph Curry and famous people, international celebrities. We're, I mean, Jimmy Butler's pretty famous, but he's not at that level of international fame. We somehow, or, you know, historic franchises like the Lakers and the Celtics, we somehow pretend like it's a disappointment. Get the entire F out of here with that. It's more compelling that it's dudes like Jimmy Butler and Nikola Jokic, who, of course, famously was drafted in the middle of a Taco Bell commercial. That's way more compelling from a sports standpoint that these are the dudes that are on center stage in the NBA Finals. It's 
unbelievably compelling that a roster of G League players is going to the NBA Finals with the Miami Heat. And again, I get why it's disappointing because we don't think they have a chance to win. We think – I don't even know what – can you look that up for me uh, and see what they set the, the game line for sure. uh, betting-wise? I'm going to guess – like I don't think there's I don't think they can set it at four and a half. Fanduel, like, I'm guessing. Yeah, fan okay. wherever. wherever. Sure. I mean, anywhere that you can find it. I don't think you can set a series at four and a half. That's insane, right? Like it's insane. I mean, that's to yeah, because that's like. But like, you're telling me that if it's nuts. set at five and a half, is anybody betting the over on that? Probably not. It almost feels like you almost have to bet it at five and hope that no one bets. It's set it at five and hope that no one bets. Because mm-hmm. they're like, well, that's a push. We don't want to bet it. So I know nothing about betting. So I'm looking at the spread here. Is yes. that what it is? It'd be the series spread. Is what? Oh, the series for. spread. Okay. Because I guess this is. I'm not entirely sure what this is, but it says okay. plus nine for uh, Miami that's, and, and minus nine. For that's Denver. that's game that's one. That's game. Okay, yeah, that's game it. one. That's that's the game line for game one of the NBA Finals. You're looking for a series spread. Um, and if you struggle, I'll come up with it. I, I promise. And going back to what you said, Glenn, about you know, I get. By the way, I get abnormally pissed off about the people. They're like, "This isn't compelling." Get, yeah. If you just don't like sports, just say you don't like sports. If all you care about is celebrity culture, that's fine. I, the, I get it. I'm the old man. People your age, Carson, and your age, Zach, are way more into celebrity culture and. If it's not famous people on TikTok, then I don't give a, a rat's ass about it. Right, and they want to see two teams with giant payrolls that right. are superstars on superstars. Right. So the series spread, according to BetMGM, yes. is Nuggets minus 2.5. So yeah, that's, that's Jesus Christ. Four and a, that's four and that's a half, four and a half. <laughs> But they have to. Like, I mean, I, it's crazy. It's crazy that they're setting it at the only way for you to win on the Nuggets is a sweep. That's bonkers. That that's what they're setting it at, but they 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 kind of have to. They they do have to, but it's if they I mean it's it, still if they set it at one and a half, no one would, no one. You think it's five and a half? If say Miami uh, would have won Game Six against Boston, you think it's five and a half then? Probably. No, I still you, don't, you still think, don't so. think it is. I still don't think so. I think if they had finished the sweep. Maybe. Yeah, then because they're riding off. They just swept Boston. Yeah. You have to give them like, a little more credit. You have to credit the momentum, yeah. and, and they're now going to have also a week and a half off. And I. That's uh, still, that's banana not, land. It's though. bonkers. I mean, I don't, there's no way of looking this up, Zach, mm-hmm. but I would love to know in the history of the NBA Finals how many times there has been a two and a half game series spread. Like, that's insanity. I mean,. I, maybe Le- I, young LeBron in, no, against the or, Spurs. Actually, it's funny. But even then, yeah. But like but LeBron was the only guy on that. It's, team, you're so. right. It was miserable. And I would also compare like the 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 titles the Lakers won in that Shaq Kobe era. Remember that was nobody even thought that Allen Iverson was winning a game when he won a game. It That's was true. a and the other teams were maybe the Pacers were not two and a half. Again, the sports betting wasn't 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 what it is at that point. So we'd never be able to find this out um, unless you know somebody in Vegas that we could call. But that remember that Nets team that made the finals and played the Lakers was yeah. It, I, the, I, the irony being, in hindsight, it had two Hall of Famers and Jason Kidd and uh, Dikembe Mutombo. But no one on the planet believed the Nets could win a game in that. Series. Wasn't was that was that Drazen Petrovic guarding Kobe? No, Drazen had passed away unfortunately oh. at that point. Um, I want to say Richard Jefferson was guarding Kobe in that series. Oh if I remember gosh. correctly. I mean, wait, I can I can pull that up and make sure I'm not Nets Lakers. Fine. This was 2002. Mm-hmm. The Nets Lakers finals, and uh, uh, they don't they don't say so. 
the Lakers starting lineup would have been Kobe, Fisher, Fox, Ori, and Shaq. That would have been their starting lineup for that series. The Nets starting lineup would have been Kidd, Richard Jefferson, uh, Mutombo. Oh, Mutombo wasn't even on that team, so they didn't have two Hall of Famers. Sorry, I take it back. He was on another Nets team. Kenyon Martin would have been a starter on that team. Jason Collins would have been their starting center. Wow. And probably Kerry Kittles was their other starter of that group. I could probably I, we could go back. Oh, Keith Van Horn might have started. Let me take that back because he was pretty productive. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Richard Jefferson who was defending Kobe in that series. But nobody gave the Nets. But the still, to yeah, win. nobody thought Point the Nets is. could win a game, and they were right. Obviously, the the Lakers not only won all five, but I I think if I only like one of them was close, and the rest of them were blowouts. So it's been a while since we've been in this situation. But that doesn't mean the storylines are bad. The storylines are excellent. Jimmy Butler is a bona fide superstar. Now, again, it's weird that he's you know a playoff superstar. Like I get that that's a weird bit, but he's become a playoff superstar and a bankable commodity, as you see, because he's in commercial after commercial after commercial after commercial because he's so he's going to end up being in a movie at some point soon because his personality is awesome. And people are going to want to market him. I'm all in on Jimmy Butler. Nikola Jokic is great. Jamal Murray has been a revelation. There are plenty. It's it's cool that the Nuggets, 50 years of franchise history, this is their first trip to the finals. That's a great story. How are we trying to downplay that story? A franchise that's been around forever that has had legendary players, the Alex Englishes of the world, the Carmelo Anthonys of the world, finally making an NBA finals. That's an awesome story. Holy crap, Daniel Medvedev really lost. That's unbelievable. Daniel Medvedev had finally come through on clay this season, and there was a real belief that he could make a run, and he just lost to Seabach Wild. That is, that is wild. Um, anyway, sorry, I got this side. That's that's fine. Congratulations, Zach Goodman, on your success. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, no I'm sorry. You got line knocked out, actually. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've said before that I think Zach resembles uh, Daniel Medvedev facially. Not body-wise, because Daniel Medvedev is massive, uh, but uh, facially well, there's some similarity there. Something like that. Yeah, Zach doesn't like that. He doesn't see it. How fitting is it too that Spolstra is like th- this team that is so you know like you, like you said G League guys is coached by this guy who's been with the Heat forever and has it's worked all, his way all, up from a lower position not just some part- not just some guy that got hired after the roster was already built. To if lead you the team. if you don't like sports or you don't like basketball, whatever, then you'll say something lazy like, "Oh, this is disappointment. The NBA can't like this." Uh, yeah, do, does the NBA probably like it when it's a bunch of international celebrities? They probably do. That's probably good for them. Sure. But if you're a basketball fan... You love this. Again, the, the only argument being you would like it if on paper you felt like... there you, you don't like two and a half as the series spread. But for storylines, it's incredible. And considering the number of times we've written off the heat already, we're writing off the heat again, and maybe that's at our own peril. They just beat Boston. Like Correct. At the end of the day, they just knocked off Boston. And as, as weird of a path as they took to getting there, they, they did. did it. I have absolutely nothing to offer about what to expect from the Stanley Cup final, which is now also set Vegas and Florida. I have that's no a idea. Drew thing, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I have no idea what to expect from it. Uh, Kachuk has been an incredible story for for Florida. I, I don't know. I have no clue, no clue. But that'll be set. That starts on Saturday. The NBA final start on Thursday night for Game One between the Heat and the Nuggets. Was there anything else this weekend that I felt like I wanted to cover? I think we covered everything, right? I think we got it all. I think we're good. When we come back in, we'll get a tidbit and we'll get tubular and we'll wind down for a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. 
Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to birdlandsports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the birds with Birdland Sports. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles. Diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson. And Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com That first sip That first bite Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grindr. Not that I know it's on Grindr or anything, I swear! Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. Uh, A.J. Michaels, heating AC plumbing home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. AC season is coming up. I say fast. It's here. What are we doing? It's here. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com. Carson just made a very good point during the break where it's the likability of the two superstars that are involved in these NBA finals is through the roof. Like, one, there's not really anything to root against. I can't think of a player on either roster that I have a negative feeling towards whatsoever. And I'm a Suns fan, so I should hate the Nuggets, but I just don't. Like, I, these are likable guys. I think Jamal Murray is likable. I think Nikola Jokic is unbelievably likable. He's just come off as a fun, interesting dude ever since he came into our conscience and now gets to justify the fact that he was a multiple MVP. By That was always the problem, right, is you can't have a guy win all these MVPs that wasn't going to win a title. Well, now he can change that narrative entirely and sort of back everything up. And Jimmy Butler is, to me, one of the absolute most likable basketball players on the face of the planet. They're incredibly likable. Yeah, Jimmy Butler should be inspiring, even if you're not an NBA fan. Correct. His story his should be, unbe- it's, it's should be inspiring to anyone. And I don't know that I, how many finals there have been where there isn't anything for me. Because like, I can admit, like I hate Boston. So if Boston had gotten there, I would have rooted openly against Boston. I hate Boston. I had a funny moment this weekend where I went to the Blink-182 show on Friday night. And Blink-182 was taking shots at Boston for some reason during the course of the concert. I don't know what the beef is there. But they, like the uh, Mark Hoppus said... You know what I love about Baltimore? It's not effing Boston. F that place. Tom DeLong's like, well, they've got, they've got clam chowder. 
He's like, they can suck my chowder. And it was fun. It was a neat interaction. So I tweeted about it, and it's got a bit of a firestorm. And then somebody found the video, and then Justin Fenton like started retweeting it. And it, it, was, it got a, a good bit of traction this weekend. But I appreciated it because I hate Boston. And so I was going to root. If the Celtics had won last night, I was going to have a clear rooting interest and a clear interest in rooting against in the NBA Finals. Now it's like if for some reason Miami goes into Denver and wins the first two games – I'm good, man. Like, let's go. Let's get Jimmy Butler a title, baby. That's awesome. If 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 the wildly unexpected happens, I think it's great, and I am completely on board with it if it plays out that way. But it led to a question about the marketability of basketball players versus the marketability of baseball players. And I said to Carson during the break, I don't know if the problem with some of the stars of baseball is as much that they aren't as marketable as it just is that baseball hasn't done the right job of marketing them. And, and you brought up Aaron Judge. And it, when I, every time I've seen Aaron jo- Judge, he has come off stiff and robotic. Like, the problem hasn't been that he isn't. He is. That's yeah. what he is? He, to me, he's a very stiff and robotic, yeah. I, so I, I don't so think that's he's... not an issue of them not marketing him. That's an issue of him not being marketable. No, I think that's just Aaron Judge being Aaron Judge. Right, but that's, I, but that's I, I think, the point. Right? Right. If that's who he is, if, he's not, if he can't release that, yeah. Then there's a look in New York. He'll always be a big deal because he's Aaron Effing Judge. He hit another big home run last night, right? Yeah, two of them, and then ro- any robbed one as well. Which is going to lead to my tri- uh, trivia oh, question coming up. Actually, how about that? Um, look in New York, he will forever because he's you know he hit sixty home runs. Like that's you're going to be a superstar in New York if you're a good player. But in the rest of baseball, he, there's just nothing about Aaron Judge that look. This is difficult because in in this city we would never we would never embrace Aaron Judge. We couldn't. He's a Yankee. Yeah, but, it, to me, there are significantly more marketable guys than the Yankees. Specifically, Anthony Volpe is extremely okay. marketable, given the fact that he's young. Um, he's a guy that... But he's got a the, lot the personality. Of, and he's, he's, got got a, got, he's got a great personality, okay. and the fact that he's been a top prospect, arguably top five in Major League Baseball for two years, uh, is an extremely marketable guy. You know, taking over for Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. He's a hometown New Jersey kid who watched right. Jeter growing up. There's everything in the world to like about yeah, that. Yeah, obviously I hate him, of course. But, <laughs> no, but I get it. Like, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. That, that, that story could resonate with someone in Iowa yes, that isn't yes. inclined to hate the Yankees. Like, the heir to Derek Jeter is just right. something everyone can get behind, right. whereas Aaron Judge is just kind of... He's just, he's a, look, he's an unbelievable player. Like, let's yeah. not take anything away from Aaron Judge. Right. Debate, but it's just difficult because every time he is put in front of me, I just see robot. Right. And, and Ad- Adley Rutschman's another one of those guys where you view him as, my dad used this term once, and I think it's a great way to, to put him. He's an all-American kid where he played for Team USA growing up. He you yeah. know, went to Oregon State and became a superstar there and, and won the all the awards you could possibly win. Now he's a, a superstar and, and growing into that. And you saw Major League Baseball. I that I thought that last week was a very big moment for Adley Rutschman, yes. the baseball star. Yes. Beyond, it, it doesn't do anything for what he's going to do for the Baltimore Orioles. But for the baseball star, when he was in New York last week, that Major League Baseball went out of their way. They did multiple things. They did one, that silly thing. I don't remember. Is it Lauren Shahadi, I think it was? They sent. I didn't see that. I think probably. they sent him out with her to like eat barbecue. I'm like, what? In New York? Like, what are we doing here? Eat pizza. Like yes, yeah. like do something that makes sense. Yeah, like, that doesn't what, make a lot. They sense. sent her to dinosaur barbecue, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to. There used to be a dinosaur barbecue in Baltimore, but like a chain barbecue spot in New—that's what you were doing in New York. But then the bigger one was the one they did at the the, right. the store, right. which was great. It was wonderful content. It was fun. It showed Adley Rutschman's personality, which we've known because we've seen the hugs sure. and we've seen 
all of that stuff with Adley Rutschman, and and you know he's been great in interviews. So we knew it was there. Now yeah. the rest of the country can start to see um, the 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 likable star that Adley Rutschman can be, and how baseball can market him as right. a star for the future. Which I just haven't seen in Aaron Judge, and I, it's it's hard for me to compare to some other guys. Uh, Machado was abrasive. Like we have to be honest about that. He was abrasive. Yeah. He was difficult. Bryce Harper, it was forced, right? Like, you saw there was some personality there, but he was so awkward, you know? Like, Not only that, he just isn't... I I don't know. I I think a lot of these guys, I'm trying to say this from the right way, are known as warm and fuzzy guys Mm -hmm. who are the spokespeople you know like, like a Shaq for example is a great example yep. of that whereas Bryce Harper comes off very abrasive comes off as a guy who well, and, doesn't and from a really baseball standpoint it's a David Ortiz the David Ortiz yes, got into yes. the Hall of Fame yeah for one reason because he was nice because right. he was a nice guy to the media he has absolutely no business being in the Hall of Fame as a steroid user over the vastly better baseball players and, and incredibly and better sure, baseball yeah. players yeah. like if we listed the steroid users David Ortiz wouldn't be in the top 20? Would he be in the top 30? Oh, he'd he be top 20. I don't know that he would he'd be, be top, top 20. 20. He'd be top 20. It re- let's really... Oh, man. We I mean, he hit over what, are we, 500 feet. Are we going to do this right now? I understand that, but in the context of steroid users, in the context of the best of the best... Bonds, Sosa, McGuire, maybe, who else? May, well, Clemens. Clemens. There would yeah, be an argument. There. Like you want, I'll, you know, maybe I'm going to end up talking myself right back into saying he's definitely top 20. Bonds and Clemens are the two you know, like unimpeachable. Sure. They are the two of the steroid guys. Sosa. That are the greatest. Sosa, I still think, and Palmero, I think, I think are far more complete players than David Ortiz I, could I ever Ortiz too. got that clutch thing, though. That's fine, but David Ortiz was a zero defender, nothing defender. There's, I, I would actually, let's... Just for the fun of it, let's look these guys up by war. Just to have he's got more damaged uh, phone boxes out of that's all true. Those he does guys. have that for sure. He leads all steroid <laughs> users in phone boxes. What do we what do we think David Ortiz's war is? I'm gonna guess uh, fifty two point okay. seven. I'm gonna I was gonna say I think it's a little bit higher, but I'll, I'll, g- I'll give him forty six. Only slightly higher. He is a fifty five point oh, three okay. war guy all time. So let's just have fun with some of these names. What do we think Sammy Sosa's career war is? Oh, much higher. I, 63. Not much higher. Really? Okay. 58.6. 50, wow. Now, okay. again, I still think that Sammy Sosa, because he was at, early in his career, was a base runner. Yeah. It's so funny to think about that. I think of Sammy Sosa as a better baseball player. Oh, yeah. But it's worth pointing out that by war, he's not a significantly better baseball player. The unfortunate player. part about Sammy Sosa is that before his alleged steroid use at the time he started them, he wasn't that great of a baseball player. He was a he was no. a good hitter, but he wasn't he was a good hitter. He wasn't a again, 60 he was a home run. <laughs> he was a more complete player. Right, right. But he was never a particularly it's comparing Sammy Sosa to Barry Bonds is laughable. Barry yes, Bonds yes. is the you know, maybe the greatest. Bonds was an outstanding player before all incredible the incredible defender, yes. base stealer. He was Bonds is the true five tool athlete of what he was in Pittsburgh. Um, McGuire, I was going to make an argument about, or we could argue Ortiz and McGuire because McGuire was a complete one-trick pony as well. Yes. But his one trick, thanks to steroids, ended up being so overwhelming that even McGuire's got a 62.2 war on this list. I'd be fascinated to know about some other names on this list. Like McGriff now is going to get in. McGriff. McGriff, I would say like 50. 52.6. So slightly, slightly below David Ortiz on this list. Slightly. Right? Well, wait, wait a second. What did we say Ortiz's was? 50, uh, five. Yeah, 55. 55. So he's slightly yeah. below David Ortiz on this list. And what about Sheffield? Sheffield, I think, is going to be. Sheffield's going to be like four, 46. Yeah, I'm, I'll, give, I'll no, give him 40. Are you out of your mind? I don't know. You think Sheffield is below David Ortiz? Yeah. Not a chance. I don't Not know. Not a chance. 
Sheffield. Uh, Sheffield is sixty point five. Okay, all right. Sheffield was, dude. I, when Gary Sheffield was good, it was there was very few things like it. Yeah, like I, I, maybe it's this is an age thing, right? Like, it's possible, but um, dude, Gary Sheffield was unbelievable. Oh, he was great. I my thinking was that he didn't do it for quite as long as David I, Ortiz I can did, understand. and that's that's where I was coming with it from that. But so. Look, I, I'm gonna end up. I'm not gonna end up coming up with 20 to keep him out of the top 20. I don't think. But to the point, I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't think there's any argument for being in the top 10 and, of the steroid guys. Unfortunately, there's probably a few other guys, um, specifically more on the pitching I do side. I want to know what Palmero was that we don't know about that did steroids. I mean, Yo, Jose Canseco. Guess tried what Palmero to. was? Mid 50s, probably. 40s. No. <laughs> 71.9. Wow. Okay. Now you also forget he was a 3,000 hit guy on top of being a. So that, that's better than Sammy Sosa. Oh yeah, it's drastically wow. better than Sammy Sosa. Okay, it's better than Sheffield. It's better than all of these. I mean, guys. just the fact that Sammy Sosa hit what over six hundred home runs. Right, he was correct. like six twenty or something like that. So I just figured he'd be a little higher than Palmero. This but. is why. This is. But again, by being a nice guy, David Ortiz, despite the fact that he is not anywhere close to the top of this list, yeah. was able to go into the Hall of Fame, which is abomination and it's embarrassment for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But it speaks to he was likable, he was marketable, all those things, and. Some of these other guys, yeah. just for whatever reason, it's either intrinsic to them that they have to keep that edge on at all times, or they're just not naturally. The the Harper thing, I think he wants to be likable. I think he wants to yeah. be, but he's just awkward. I mean, even you've seen Mike Trout face that a little bit. Subway was huge on Mike Trout, if you remember that, the first like three or four years yeah. of his career. They're big on Ryan Howard, too. Ryan Howard for a little big bit. Big Philly yeah. cheesesteak. Oh, Ryan, yeah. Ryan Howard was in the office uh, as <laughs> as uh, in Jim's marketing agency in the office. Right. They were trying to put Ryan yeah. Howard into ads in that. And so, some of that was the nature of it being based in Pennsylvania. And so sure, it was yeah. logical. Yeah, sure. But, but I, Ryan Howard was likable. Like, he was a likable. Plus, he was... He was kind of fat, right? Like, if we yeah, all, yeah. it's easy for us to embrace the fatter athlete because we're like, that could be me. But it definitely could not. There's no right, chance right, in hell right. that it could be. And the fact that Ryan Howard was like in the band in high school and stuff. Right. And but I, like, regular Mike, guy. Mike Trout comes off as a guy, like, the, the, there's nothing, there's no reason to not like him, but you just never see anything that makes him seem cool or fun well that's because he never gets playoff heroics that has something to do with it that's true. nobody in america gets yeah, to watch what, mike what, trout what would he celebrate what would we right. have ever seen mike trout celebrating right if he had come through in that a bat against shohei otani in the world baseball classic it would have been the first right. time we could have ever seen like right. mike trout and how he would celebrate a major I just don't moment think in a baseball that game because of being an angel and because of his lack of exposure i don't think he's necessarily gotten exposed to that wide audience yet like a guy like jimmy butler as you mentioned right is. Even though Jimmy Butler is probably not as good of a player in his sport as Mike Trout is at this point, not close, not close. Mike, Although he's a much better playoff performer, but he's much better. Mike Trout's played yeah. one playoff game Correct. in his career, one playoff series or whatever it is in 2014. So it's just hard to compare that. Mike Trout's reach is just not there. Uh, David Ortiz's uh, career war not even as high as Jeff Kent's career war. Although it's oh, I'll take Jeff Kent. Basically the same. I'll take Jeff Kent. That's why I keep coming up with I don't. I, I, but I, but I gotta be honest with you. Like I'm, in all seriousness, if you told me I got one at bat, I need something. But that's a to different happen. conversation. That's a different conversation. But is it? Than but the don't best you? Players. Doesn't the clutch? The fact he's one of the clutchest guys of all I, time. I understand that. I'm not debating that. And that's what that, makes Derek Jeter Derek Jeter too. Um. Yes. Every yes. time it mattered, he got the big. I understand that. I'm not trying to take that away from him, but to make that make him more Hall of Fame worthy than players that were better than him is uh, nonsense. No, probably not. Nonsense. It's ridiculous to consider that. 
All right, let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by... Ooh, this one's brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. This actually worked out perfectly because we just talked about home runs, and I have a trivia question and tidbit based around home runs. So last night, as we mentioned, Aaron Judge hit two home runs. That makes it four multi-home run games for Aaron Judge this year. That was his 31st of his career. And I want to ask you guys, after Aaron Judge tied uh, the record for most multi-home run games in a single season last year with 11, who were the other two guys to have 11 home runs in uh, 11, sorry, 11 multi, right. multi, what is it? Multi home run, home run games. games. That's what it is. Okay. Yes, thank you. In a single season. Who are the other two guys? 11 can you name, in history. In history. Can you name the, the years and the well, players? There's no chance I can name the years. McGuire in 2000. Not Mark McGuire. Uh, Bonds. Barry Bonds did not do it. How so, is that Sosa. possible? I don't know, I, but it is. Uh, Sammy Sosa. In yes. 2000. Sammy Sosa in, two th- in 1998 was 11 multi homer games. That was the summer. That was the year. Um. So just one more. There's one more, and this one's the hard one. And Roger Maris. No, but I like your line of thinking. You're yeah. along the you're along the right line. Babe lines. Ruth. No. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. No. By Babe Ruth, by the way, I was looking up most uh, multi-homer games in a career, and I think Babe Ruth is by far the leader with Barry Bonds second. There's, it's so like it's seventy. Just, it's like this, seventy-one. This, this, so this 62. is all just a complete anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, also in some of those seasons, like Bonds was getting walked so much that he wasn't getting, you know, enough, I, I, enough legitimate at bats. And it's games. not like this is an anomaly though, because this guy's a no. He's a yeah, Hall of Famer, prodigious and home run a hitter, noted home run hitter. Jim Thome. No, I like how you said that. Thome. <laughs> God, I hate the fact that that might have started with Drew. I really hate the fact that might be where that came from. Say Stan Musial. No. Frank Robinson. No. Willie Mays. No. Harmon Killebrew. No. Eddie Murray. <laughs> No. Reggie Jackson. No. <laughs> Boy. Uh, Duke Snyder. Wait, 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 wait. You don't have to do it yet. We, I was going to say, we, I was going to give you the year and see if that helps you out at all. Give me the year. 1938. Jesus. So we got Jimmy go Fox. Back. No. Yeah, Mel, I like that guess, Mel Ott. No. Hank Tris, Greenberg. Tris Hank Greenberg. Hank Greenberg. <laughs> Hank I do, Greenberg in 1938. Right, I've, I've said this before to Griffin. I actually love when a tidbit devolves into just naming old baseball names. Oh, it's, it's fun. one of my it's favorite fun. things I do. Yeah. It's like that just tweet. It's like guys can just. Cap Anson. Nat LaJoy, Chris Speaker, like we just, Duke Schneider, Rocky Calavito. We're just naming as many old baseball It's like that tweet that blew up like three years ago that was like, guys can, dudes can just sit there and name old NFL players and just have a great time. Every time that tweet comes up, I have a buddy who um, is, my buddy Brandon works at Rams Head Live, and so we'll go to a concert together, but I'll sit up in his office until, you know, like the real band comes on that was there to see, because I don't like really have any interest in seeing the other bands. And I swear to God, every time it just devolves into that. It's all it devolves into every time we hang out. It's all it takes. Is just naming uh, all He ads. just looks like, at you and just says, Richard Mendenhall. But that's because it, it's so funny <laughs> you say that. He's a Steelers fan. So it's exactly how it goes. Like, all out of nowhere, he'll be like, dude, I miss those old Steelers Ravens games. And we'll just start naming Willie yeah. Parker. <laughs> just random players that participated in those games. That's no joke. All right, very good. Uh, Tubular is brought to you today by PressBoxOnline.com slash contest. Again, get signed up right now to win four tickets to all of the area's minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms to help you get around. Got to be 18 or older in order to enter. Sweepstakes ends June 14th. Get to PressBoxOnline.com slash contest right now. 
uh, still nothing. I have not seen any update. Any. It'll happen. Really ho- I know assuming, it will happen. I'm but assuming I was, what seven of seven. I was hoping. Today. Yeah, I was just hoping that would happen while we were on the air. <laughs> like that's that we could react to it. That's all. But uh, not the case. Orioles do indeed continue their series with the Guardians. Knight Cal Gibson on the mound against Cal Quantrill. First pitch at seven o'clock on Masson. French Open coverage continues today. Ooh, Christopher Eubanks taking a set from Rude. Medvedev has already gone down. Wow. That would be wild. Rune, another one of the favorites, as he's been hot coming to the French Open. Uh, I'm very excited about this. I don't care how you feel about it. Tonight, ESPN, 30 for 30, the American Gladiators documentary. It is a two-part 30 for 30. Part one is tonight at 8.30. Part two is tomorrow night. Um, you guys were not alive for the the big run of American Gladiators. You probably watched it you know, at some point growing up on... In reruns, it was the greatest competition show in human history. It was amazing. I actually talked to the director of this, Ben Berman, on uh, the radio show the other day. I am so excited about this 30 for First of all, every 30 for 30 has been excellent. So I, I could watch a 30 for 30 about a topic I didn't give a rat's ass about. They announced t- tonight a 30 for 30 about the current Flo- you know, Florida Panthers and Vegas Golden Knights. I'd say, all right, you got it. I'll watch it because that's how good the 30 for 30 yeah. series has been. But I am very interested in this one. That's tonight at 8.30. The Ultimate Fighter uh, with Conor McGregor begins tonight on ESPN as well at 10 o'clock. Other baseball. You're going to be watching the Orioles, so you don't care about the other baseball. Uh, The New York Liberty and Seattle Storm later tonight at 9. USA Network for WWE SmackDown tonight at 8. And I think you should leave. Season 3 is now available on Netflix. I have a very complicated relationship with that show because I know it's wonderful, but it just makes me angry that you guys didn't watch Detroiters when that was on TV, which was actually a superior show. It was a different kind of show. It wasn't a a clip show or a sketch show. It was a a sitcom, but it was wonderful. And uh, I love Tim Robinson, but that was better, and so this is very difficult for me, but I'll work through that with my therapist. You would love Tim Robinson. You seem like a Tim Robinson guy. I know. he's, He's brilliant. But like every one of you that loves, I think you should leave. Never watch Detroiters, and I hate you for it. It was brilliant, and we lost it because none of you watched it. And I'm not over it, and I will never will be. All right, uh, everything else, find it at glennclarkradio.com. Thank you for coming in and hanging out with us the last couple of, course, of days, Zach. No appreciate problem. it. Uh, you guys are off this Saturday, We're correct? off this Saturday. You're off this Saturday, yeah. but back the following Saturday. I will be in uh, New Mexico, and Paul will be in Florida. I it's very random, Zach. So, or maybe not. I don't know. Well, here's This here's is a actually... sexy vacation in New Mexico? <laughs> no, this is not. This is a vacation with my dad, so I wouldn't necessarily okay. describe it as that. But uh, Paul was going out of town and texted me, hey... Uh, you you know nobody else knows the format except Ryan Blake who is our usual fill in and is so, our uh, fantasy baseball guy so, now right so box. exactly so we decided we would just take the week off and my, I learned my dad had a trip to New Mexico and I was like I'm gonna hop on that flight with you okay so, well that's neat what are you doing sure. in New Mexico uh he's got a few buddies who uh he kind of grew up with uh, he gr- lived there for about ten years and he kind of grew up with these guys out there so he's going to go visit with them and uh, I guess we'll do some hiking biking whatever okay. whatever it cool. is out there so yeah that doesn't sound like a bad place to be no not at all very good. Uh, on Twitter, you are? Uh, at Zygaman20. Very good. Thank you. Um, Carson, thanks to you. You're going to be getting stuff up on the TikTok? Yes. Look out for it today. All right. At Glenn Clark Radio on TikTok. He's I was at Aberdeen uh, last. Did you wear the overalls to Aberdeen? I didn't wear the oh, overalls to Aberdeen. I really wish you would have done that. Imagine that, though. awesome if you would have done that. Jackson Holiday actually I made an error. Been, oh, spoiler. that's it. That's it. It's I know, over. I know. That's, it's over. Never going to work. Um, I look forward to seeing that coming up soon. Thanks today to 
Rob Vaughn, Maryland baseball coach. Enjoyed that. Thanks to John Mioli of the Banner and Patrick Stevens. We'll get all of it up in the greatest hit section of the archives. It's you're not aware of the new thing. No, that it's was fine, a good one. But it's that I'm was, still gonna. I, I'm, I did. I appreciated. I appreciated the hutzpah. It's a throwback behind that. Yes. I, Kyle had it down to a science. Yeah, he was and really good I at it. Try to he was really good at Kyle. it. I try to replicate Kyle. I try to. Hone in on Kyle's craft. I appreciate the effort, sir. Uh, thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, AJ Michaels, Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, All-American Lacrosse, Birdland Sports, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Uh, I should have mentioned, tomorrow on the program, I think Connor Norby's going to join us tomorrow. Um, I don't remember what Too else. Too bad I missed on that show. one, man. Yeah, I think we're doing, I think we're doing yeah, I, I wanted it that way. I didn't Connor want you to talk Norby. to Connor Norby. Yeah, right? I didn't Jeez. want that to be the case. Uh, and uh, stuff and things, I guess is all I can say. I was going to say, that's Griffin's department, but he's probably going to be on a plane all day today, so it might be my department for tomorrow. All right. Um, he might be working on it. I, might have his tray table down. Speaking of which, thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday night. Go Birds. Duke sucks.